Episode 136, Hot Shot Scott. You are in a garage where? I am in Cave Creek, Arizona, and it's so damn hot. Milk was a bad choice. <laughs> you probably don't know Anchorman, but I love that line. From I it. saw Anchorman, <laughs> but I don't know Anchorman. It's not one yeah. of those movies that I know. It's, I, I just remember that. He's like, remember at the end, he's running around. It's super hot. And he takes a big hit off a thing of milk and then realizes that's probably not the best thing to drink when it's hot out. But yes, I am stuck in a garage in Cave Creek, Arizona. And I, I have the door open behind me, the garage door to kind of, you know, to let the 90 degree air in yeah. as opposed to the 95 that's in here to, yeah. to cool off. Yeah. But if you see a rattlesnake heading towards me because <laughs> I got my back to the garage, will you keep an eye out for me? Let me know. I mean, God, <laughs> I'm scared I, to death. If I see a rattlesnake, I'm going to run and <laughs> And I'm not even anywhere near where you are. Now, did I understand I correctly through text that there might have been a mushroom incident somewhere in the Phoenix area, somewhere in, in, in Arizona tonight? Is that right? A mushroom yeah, we incident. Li- we like to call it the uh, Great Mushroom Incident of 2021 in Cave Creek, Arizona. It was it was not pretty at, at dinner tonight. My, my daughter, who she's 12, and she always orders off the kids' menu. It's simple. It's easy. But... For whatever reason, she said, I want something off the, the adult menu. It looks good. I'm going to get a big quesadilla. I'm starving. She ordered it, and she is like you with the mushrooms. She can't look at them. She can't think about them. She can't smell them. And she's not a picky eater at all. Like, I got to give her credit. And this thing comes, and it's chock full. I mean, it's, it's got a lot of it. It ain't like one or two. It's got a bunch. And she was pissed. I mean, <laughs> pissed, dude. She oh, just kind of ruined feel, the whole night. I feel her pain. <laughs> I have been there many times in the past. And what she needs to do is have a nice chat with Uncle Mitchie. Uncle Mitchie. Yeah. This was a very, very painful lesson that she learned, <laughs> that I learned many as a mushroom hater, that I learned many, many years ago, and it pisses off everybody around me, and I just don't care. And that is, I ask at a restaurant, no matter what, I could order ice cream, right. and I will ask, is there, are there mushrooms in the ice cream? I will ask, yeah. are there mushrooms in everything I order? People at the table will look at me and say, there can't be mu- there's never been mushrooms in that choice before i don't care i need to double and triple check she will get there someday tell piper to take a page out of uncle mitchie's playbook and just ask. and i'll tell you when it comes to something like quesadillas where mushrooms very well could be now I will say this. I've, I've assessed a, the situation. It's a good shape for what you're saying. You can slide them right in there. Is yeah. that- oh. And the other thing is, look, if a menu is a menu and it tells you, did you go back and look at the menu? Did it say mushrooms in the description yeah. for the quesadillas and she just didn't see it? Because sometimes, sometimes things come with mushrooms in them. And, and then the description on the menu, it doesn't even say mushrooms. Well, her, it said mushrooms. I think in her mind, she thought, I, I'm, you get to pick out of those, those ingredients. Oh. She goes, I want chicken, and I'll take avocado. <laughs> and I think she thought it was going to be cheese, chicken, avocado, we're good. Oh. But it came with, it had like zucchini and mushrooms and oh. all kinds. It was a whole thing. But she definitely needs to talk to you because she, didn't, oh, she hasn't God. learned. I, I remember, I've been with you. Uh, we went to lunch one time, and you said to the <laughs> never forget. You said, to that "Look, if there's mushrooms anywhere near this plate, I'm sending it back. I don't want them anywhere near." <laughs> well, that was a good and you day. Kidding that, either? No, that was a good day because normally I don't say I'm sending it back. I say if there's any mushrooms near this plate, 
I'm walking out. I'm going to my car. Okay. Right. She's just has to learn. She's got to learn, yeah. especially with dishes like quesadillas, anything that could possibly, if the, if the chef got creative, have mushrooms right. in it. She's got to ask. Piper has to yeah. ask. She's going to have a life full of disappointments. If she doesn't ask, okay. She's and by the way, ask. she's got the worst, the worst dad ever for that situation. Because I'm, I, you know, I have this, yeah, you this unfair hatred towards towards picky eaters. It's yeah. just not fair. But they annoy yeah. the crap out of me. Yeah. So for me, I'm like, ah, oh, you'll be fine. Just pick them off. But she tells me that even if you pick them off, there's still a hint of it. And and, and for mushrooms haters, let me just say this, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, especially if she's 12. Mushroom, unexpected mushrooms in a plate at a dinner. That's yeah. enough to throw a week off. Forget, th- she must have been a basket case for the rest. Was she okay the rest of the night, or did she get over? No. I, I would have pissed. been in a bad mood the rest yep. of the night. Yes? Yep. She almost ruined the whole dinner. My wife's cutting <laughs> off part of her enchilada. Eat this. And I'm giving her a plain tortilla. Eat this. It's like, oh, God. Oh, sulking like a big baby. All right. Before we start episode 136, and we've got a big, big, big show, a big episode here at 136. I need a ruling, and I'm not sure that I should be going to you for the ruling since you're involved in the dilemma. But I need okay. a ruling, and since you're the only one I'm talking to from a garage, and you've got like John, yeah. you've got John Thompson's towel, you've got <laughs> that you're wiping, you've got Whitney Houston's Schwitz rag. Oh. We used to call it a Schwitz rag. Yep. You're carrying around a Schwitz yeah. rag. Yeah. Um, uh, boy, Mike Tarico could have used one. Anyway, uh, I need a ruling, but you're involved in the incident. So I don't know Uh-oh. how to do this. Okay. okay. On episode 135P, the last patron show, which was delivered to the patrons on Thursday, a great show, by the way. You, but people know by now, I'm in charge of the first segment of topics, and you're typically in charge of the last segment. We call it the other stuff segment. Some people hate the other stuff segment. Other people just go right to the other stuff. You're in charge of the content for the most part of the other stuff segment, correct? Mm-hmm. That's right. Okay. You brought in for 135P a story about Michael Shanahan's gap in his teeth. Not Michael Shanahan. Michael Strahan's oh gap yes, in right. his teeth. You did a big thing. Uh-huh. You read about it. You said, hey, he sent out a picture. Yeah. He filled in the gap. And I sat here and I listened and I commented. I was like, wow. I mean, and and uh, and then you went to the next story, right? Yeah. We uh-huh. spent about three or four minutes of episode 135P, three or four minutes that we'll never get back as you wipe the sweat from the back of your neck. Oh, my God. Um, it's got like two-stroke mortar oil on this too. It's like a work rag. I'm we, we spent we spent three or four minutes on Michael Strahan. This was recorded, I think, on March 30th. Michael Strahan filling in the gap in his front teeth, and you're like, should he should he have done that? And I was like, nah. David Letterman. We started talking about David, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Then we find out a day or two later. I read. The whole thing was a practical joke. It was an April Fool's joke that Strahan yeah. put on social media. And I was like, yep. how about that? How about Hotshot? Not only falling for the, for, the, for the April Fool's joke, which I've fallen for a million times, but not only falling for the April Fool's joke, but bringing it into the show and making yeah. it a topic. So I, in my smart aleck way, sent you a text. Uh-huh making fun of you for falling, for being gullible and falling for the April Fool's Michael Strahan. And you fired right back. You fell for it too, big boy, which brings up... (laughs) That's true. Which brings up the ruling that I need. Did I... 
Are we on the same level of falling for that? I mean, I just sat here. I don't feel like I sh- I should be made fun of to the extent that you you found the story, you brought it in. I just merely sat here and listened to you. And yes, I believe when you when you read a story, all your fakakta Florida man stories, I <laughs> I believe them. When and yeah. so you're saying that I'm just as gullible as you because I sat here and believed you reading the Strahan story. That's the ruling I need. We can't start episode 136 until we figure this out. First of all, Strahan's, he's a dick. It was March 31st. Okay, March 31st, you don't do April Fool's jokes. I mean, come on. Uh, and I, 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 when I saw his new teeth, I thought yeah. I didn't want to be a jerk because they, they looked a little big. It looked a little almost <laughs> like dentures. Like it didn't really look right. And part of me was like, those look kind of thick. I don't know. Uh, I, but I didn't want to be a jerk, you know. So you don't do April Fool's jokes on March 31st. Second of all, okay. yes, you, not, at, at no point did you say, uh, hot shot, I don't know. Did he really? It's, you know, it's okay. close to April 1st. So okay. my ruling is that you are just as gullible. Okay. So the guy who picks the story, I just want to make sure I have this right, and maybe we can go to the okay. listeners on this. The guy who reads the story, sees the pictures, brings it into a podcast, makes it mm-hmm. a part of the podcast – and the guy who just sat here having not seen the pictures, having not seen the story, and is just listening yeah. to his friend, or in this case, his former friend, Hotshot Scott, um, <laughs> yeah. just tell him the story. Those two people have fallen for it just as much, hook, line. I can't see those two being equitable. I cannot say. I can, I can accept that I fell for it just because I listened to your story and I accepted yeah. it, but I can't be on the hook as much as you are. you got to be way more on the hook than I am. Had you read the story or I tell it to you, you're still getting the same info. And you, so if you didn't, if you fell for it when I told you, why wouldn't you fall for it if you read it? It's the same. You're still getting the info, yeah, and yeah. nothing went off. No spidey sense went. Oh, come on, Hotshot. I don't okay. know. Really though, right. nothing. Okay, so I'm you're in. just as gullible. I'm in. Become a patron at MitchUnfiltered.com for five dollars <laughs> a month. That was easy. Yeah, I'm in. I just needed a ruler. Are we still friends or no? Is that oh, of course we are. <laughs> okay. uh, just as long as you're there and I'm here. Uh, MitchUnfiltered.com, $5 a month for all the other weekly content. I must po- point out, ladies and gentlemen, that the patrons got quite a thrill. Now, I haven't listened to it yet, but everybody is on, every patron is on his or her ear because of the latest release from Hotshot Scott chronicling the life of Stevie Nicks. Which is yes. Which is installment number what? Four. Um, December, January, February, March. That's five. Five. Number five. I want to go. Phil Collins, Steve Perry, Lou Graham, Nancy Wilson, Stevie Nicks for five. Okay. Everybody yep. loved it again. So far, yeah, it looks like everyone did. I wasn't sure if they would. I mean, I, I never know when I put them out. So yeah, people are so far have been really nice. Okay. Ask me how I liked it. Yeah, I can tell. I, I'm not convinced you've heard more than two of them. No, no, I've heard every one of them. I've heard every okay, one of them have. in their entirety. I've liked some okay. more than I've liked others. I have not listened to one stitch of this because I have to get a clarification, not not to be confused with the ruling that I just got. I got a ruling before. Okay. Now I need a clarification before I make my decision when, oh, if, and where I'm going to listen to this. Tell me the dude on the skateboard with the juice – where she's singing in the background is not mentioned. Yeah. Nathan Apodaca, Apodacalus. Oh, you or know something. his name. You're yeah. a big fan. Yeah, if, yeah. If you can, if you can look at me through Zoom right now, 
And yeah. tell me, look me in the eye and tell me that you don't ever go there because she had such a huge career and a huge life. Mm-hmm. We don't have to talk about a skateboarder on TikTok. If you can promise yeah. me that it's a Nathan Apodakis free zone, that episode, I will listen tonight as I lay in bed in my ear pods. Normally, everything I do in my life, I put through whether Mitch would like it filter. <laughs> it's just that's just how I live my life. I don't know. It's, I've just always been that way. Oh, um, second of all, all right. N- I really wanted to show, sounds like I put him in, didn't it? I really wanted to show that a whole new generation has discovered her. Because after his video went viral, like the TikTokers, Uh-oh. the 12, 13, they are all into this is her a now. Yes. And, and this is dreams, a yes. that song spiked. Yeah, this I had a, to. No, you didn't. He was my example. No, you didn't. Screw I didn't up. want to either. He, I told you, he no. came after her, and I want to fight him. If you didn't want to... You could have very, there wouldn't have been, if a thousand people, and of course there'll only be 10 that listen, but if a thousand people listen to you do uh, a Stevie Nicks, how long is it, would you say? I haven't looked at it. It's an hour 13. Okay. If a thousand people listen to your episode on Stevie Nicks, and -hmm. you didn't include the doofus on the skateboard from TikTok, and you never mentioned him, there would not be one of those 1,000 that would have thought for a half of even a quarter, an eighth of a second. Oh, my God. Hot shot. He did her whole life, but he didn't include the fact that she's she's featured on one of the biggest TikTok. No one would have no one would have missed Nathan Apodopoulos. OK, See, nobody, I, nobody. I look at it as me not doing my due diligence if I don't mention that. Bullshit. That, that song skyrocketed after bullshit. that video. I call bullshit. she reacted to it. McFleetwood reacted to it. Lindsey Buckingham reacted to it. I have to I have to mention okay. it. I didn't want to. I don't like the guy either. I had to. OK, sorry. But now, but you, you still have to listen. You can just fast forward that part. Dare, how do I it's know like when it's going to happen? Fast forward when you talk. You know, you can fast forward. <laughs> <to, well, laughs> That's terrible. Uh, Daryl Murray says, "Awesome! This provided my girlfriend and I a very romantic evening." Catholic. <laughs> I, I, you need to help me understand that one. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. A, I don't know. Is Good. he suggesting that I somehow am helping yes. his marriage, his love life? Yes. Or his Cath- love life. Kathleen okay. Callahan says, "Great job again." <laughs> Perfect listen for Saturday morning while I'm working. Ken Fowler says, Scott, what the F? Just when I thought you couldn't improve on the heart podcast, you deliver this. Good work. What's next? So everybody seems to like on the patron side of things, your Stevie Nicks show. So very I'm, good. I'm, well done. Thank well you. done. I'm curious when you listen, if there, I do tell a story that's heartbreaking. I don't know that I can listen with Nathan Papadakos. <laughs> But there's a pretty heartbreaking story, and I'm I'm curious. Oh. You're, you're kind of an emotional guy, and I'm very emotional. How this story hits you? I'm I'm excited for you to listen to it, ladies and, and everyone else. Ladies and gentlemen, you know that we're in the midst of the uh, we're about to have a national as we record this on a Sunday, the national championship game and the culmination of our March Madness pool presented by Fireside Home Solutions. We'll we'll get to that in segment one. We haven't even started the show yet. This is still the warm up. We're still in That's the right. bullpen. We're still warming up for the show. God, I'm warm. And, oh. and, and before we actually start the show, I want to do two things. I want to tell you who's on the show and then we'll start the show and i do want to introduce hotshot a new pool that starts right now as people are listening to this it's the first ever mitch's i got gonzaga (laughs) it's the first ever (laughs) mitch's master's pool presented by fireside home solutions now i don't know that that does anything for a guy who who spends his days talking about nathan papadopoulos but Mitch's <laughs> Masters Pool, presented by Fireside Home Solutions. It's Masters Week. It's my favorite week of the year for sports. And 
Thanks to Fireside Home Solutions, we have put together another pool where you go on our website, MitchUnfiltered.com, and you can be a contestant for free in our pool. Let me tell you how the pool works. Maybe you'll even Please. try it. Maybe you'll even try it. Of course it. I will. Okay. You go to MitchUnfiltered.com, you click the top banner like you would go to any other pool. It takes you to, to run my pools. Bill Sanders, we had him on last oh, time. Yeah. They do a fabulous job. They yeah. do a, a terrific job. <laughs> they do a great job and, and they help us out very, very much on Mitch Unfiltered. Run my pools. They can run any of your pools. So you go to MitchUnfiltered.com and you click the banner and it takes you to the pool. And if you've done any of our pools, you're probably already registered registered on the site, but you have to enter our pool the Mitch's Masters Pool. And here's how it works. It's very simple. Before Thursday's opening round, okay, last-minute Larrys, before Thursday morning's opening round, you go into the pool, you register, and you pick how many fingers do I have up on Zoom? That looks like five. You pick five players. Any five players in the field, you pick five guys. That's it. That's what you do. Here's the way the pool is run. All five of your guys need to make the cut on the weekend. Oh. Or you're out. You got it? You pick five guys. You got to go five for five. All five must play all four rounds for you to be eligible to win. Unless one thing happens, Hotshot, which is that nobody gets five guys that make the cut. If nobody in the entire pool picks five guys that make the cut, then four guys, and then you understand how we go. So we take all of the people that pick five guys that make the cut, and then we total up the score of their five guys, and the lowest score, the best score, aggregate score, team score, wins Mitch's first ever Masters Pool, presented by Fireside Home Solutions, who will then give you $500 cash, and we will give the top 20. This isn't a beat the boys thing. We will give the top 20 finishers something like Mitch Unfiltered Patron Months, free months, whatever, free Stevie Nicks concert tickets, whatever, (laughs) a ride with Nathan on a skateboard, something, okay? Okay, but that's that's the way it works. Go to MitchUnfiltered.com, click on the top banner that'll take you to the master's pool, register, and then pick five guys that are playing in the master's in 2021 so much so that your five guys make the cut. And if your five guys make the put cut, now you're in. You're in the finals. You got it? No trunk slamming allowed, right? Is no that what trunks, they say when you no, miss the cut? That's what they say. No trunk slamming allowed. Okay. That's All it. right. Well, I already picked David Duvall. It's been a while since I've been in the golf <laughs> league. But David Duvall, I know he's been playing well. I'm going to go with him to start with. It's my little tip of the day. <laughs> and then Vijay Singh. Uh, well, Vijay will be in the field. David Duvall will not be in the field. Okay. Vijay will be it. Really? He's still in it? Well, if you've won a Masters, you're entitled to come back just about until you die. Just about. <laughs> and some try, don't they? Well, and then some are, some are uh, graciously asked by the Masters people, it might be the end now. You, you, might, yeah. you might not want to come back next year. Anyway. Thank you for the, your service. The first ever Mitch's Masters pool presented by Fireside Home Solutions. Go to MitchUnfiltered.com. Fill it out. Five guys you pick. They all have to make the cut, and you might win our first prize, a cash prize from Fireside Home Solutions. Guests on episode 136, the go-to guy. I say the go-to guy, and you say? Oh, Mr. Jim Moore. Mr. Jim Moore makes his first ever appearance on Mitch Unfiltered. Wow. He I is love it. 26 years of the Seattle PI, and then on ESPN 710. Of course, we weren't allowed to have him. 
when he was on ESPN 710 because they won't let right. us interview any other guys, which doesn't make sense to me. Uh, I understand the KJR thing. So we had to get him fired so that he could be on our show. <laughs> he was happy to apply. That's yeah. good to hear. So we got, we got him fired. He is phenomenal. He tells some incredible story after story after story from Jim. You are going to love the Jim Moore segment. I promise you that. He's uh, guest segment number one. Okay, so last week on our show, on episode 135, we had, you heard, D.C. Glenn. What do they call him? The, the Brain, Brain Supreme. The Brain Sur- from the yes. Geico commercial. Tag team from the Geico commercial. We thought it was a good yep. idea. So so when, when I decided to do that interview, I had already, we had already as a show, tried to track down the woman who plays Tasha, the mom, in the kitchen of the Geico commercial. Okay. Oh, nice. We didn't okay. hear. We didn't hear back from her. Oh, initially we didn't hear back from her. So okay. we did hear back from him, the tag team guy. So we did the long interview, and I think everybody loved the interview on episode one thirty five. You said you even loved the long interview awesome. on episode one thirty five. Okay. Yep. In the meantime, now one thirty five is out with DC Glenn. We get a call back from guess who? Ta- of course, that's how that works. Tasha. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And I'm thinking, okay, we've done that. We've done the commercial. We've done tag team. What are we going to do? Interview everybody, every main character on the Geico commercial. <laughs> but now yeah. she's she's nice enough to get back to us. Let me just do the interview, and I'm we'll just shelve it. We probably won't use it. Whatever. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I sit down and I spend 15 minutes with Nikki Carr, the teacher slash actress who plays Tasha the mom in the kitchen of the Geico commercial. Yep. Let's just say she cried twice during the interview. Come on. I'm really? Not, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not joking. It became a very sweet, emotional, sentimental interview. And I was like, I finished it up and I was like, I, I got to air that. I got to put this on a show. I can't not put this on a show after right. we do it. So now, you get a second consecutive week. You get somebody from the – I promise we're not having the daughter on in 137, <laughs> the father that comes in dancing, yeah. the other uh-huh. tag team member, the producer of this. I promise this is the last of the Geico commercial scoop. There it is. But you're going to hear from Tasha, a.k.a. Nikki Carr, on episode 136. You said teacher slash actor, so I'm curious to see how she balances that life. That's the whole story. That's why the story is so damn charming. It is okay. so sweet. Her story is inc- it's 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 a typical story of somebody who tried to go out to Hollywood and make it and got sent back yeah. home and didn't make it and was broke and whatever. But it's a very sweet story. So much so that she loses it twice during the interview. Ah, I can't wait to hear that. I'm I'm excited. My my wife's a teacher too. Can we get her some Geico gigs? Can she help out at all with it? <laughs> Can a little she extra dance? dog? Can a she couple dance? extra bucks coming into the house. Yeah, she'll dance a little bit for you. She'll do whatever I tell her. All right. So Jim Moore. Uh, Tasha, a.k.a. Nikki Carr from the from the Geico commercial, and Bob Kurtz, who was a f- the first ever sports face on CNN with Nick Charles back in the 1980s. <laughs> He's now 79 years old, and I'm just going to tell you that he is now a Guinness World Record holder seven times over. I'm not going to tell you what he did. This past week at 79 years old, he broke his seventh all-time Guinness World Record and it's sports related, and he's the third okay. interview on the show. Okay, at seventy nine, he's breaking records. He's breaking records <laughs> at seventy nine. Yes, <laughs> wow, All that's right? impressive. I can't wait to hear what it is. <laughs> Episode one hundred and thirty six with Hotshot somewhere in the desert 
of Arizona, brought to you by Daniel's Broiler Area Restaurants, open at 50% capacity inside. And Daniel's is no different, less shy South Lake Union, the top of Bellevue Place. Let's start celebrating again. All those special occasions with Daniel's Broiler. How about Mother's Day at Daniel's Broiler? World-class steakhouses. A huge thank you to John Waterstrat and Fireside Home Solutions for sponsoring not only our March Madness contest, but our Masters Pool that you're invited to play this week. Fireplaces, fire pits, garage doors, firesidehomesolutions.com. Jordan Flowers' team at the Kirkland office at Gill Mortgage has been saving unfiltered listeners lots of money for a few years now. Still great opportunities and numbers on refinances. Seven minutes is all it takes. 425-250-3150, the Kirkland office at Gill Mortgage. Evergreen Golf Call, tax advisors, certified financial planners, experienced portfolio managers, all working together to bring retirement planning, taxes, and investments under one roof. Evergreengk.com, more than just a financial advisor. Evergreen is everything wealth. And Zeke's Pizza, what a role Zeke's is on as all of us begin to visit our favorite restaurants again. Keep an eye open as Zeke's locations pop up, new ones all over the next 12 months, including up in Bellingham. Delicious Northwest pizza and the best craft beer can be at your door in minutes. Download the Zeke's Pizza app. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. This is episode 136, believe it or not, and starts right now. Unfiltered. I think that Tyler Lockett got some pretty good voodoo karma going on because I think he was at the right place at the right time. Not to say that he wouldn't gotten a contract, but I think this was important for the Seahawks to do. They knew if they did a long-term contract extension today with Tyler Lockett, that they could, in, in so doing, bring his cap number down for this coming year. Unfiltered. Is it possible that if they've concluded that he did nothing wrong and it just yeah. was an accident, which I don't know that they have, but, okay. but if they have concluded that it was just simple... He wasn't speeding. If he was, he was going a couple miles over the speed limit. He wasn't impaired. He he did everything he could do. It just was an, an accident. What at that point, Tiger Woods shed his reputation, his team, and say, you know what? Yeah, go ahead and release that. We want people to hear that. Mitch is unfiltered. All right, episode 136 after a very long tease. Producer Steve is going to quit the show, and he's going to dedicate dedicate the rest of his life to politics. Episode 136 is now officially underway. Hotshot Scott in Arizona. I'm in the state of Washington. I saw a shirt on somebody in Cave Creek, Arizona, and I, I read it, and I thought, I'm going to see if Mitch knows what the hell this shirt is about. Are you ready for a little a little quiz time? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm ready. All right, like now, quizzes. had you have seen this shirt, yes. would you know what the hell he's talking about? Okay, the shirt says, now listen up, it says flathead. Knucklehead, panhead, shovelhead. Flathead, knucklehead, panhead, shovelhead. What the hell is on that shirt? I happen to know because like my sharks. sister's involved in that world. Sounds like sharks. Uh, it, it's not, not the worst. I don't know if they have a knucklehead shark, but oh, that would be pretty okay. awesome if they did. Uh, how about a screwdriver? <laughs> It sounds like you don't know, but th- those would be Harleys, as far as I know. My sister used oh, to ride a, a I had shovel no head. Job. Come on, <laughs> I could have been. Sitting- That's- <laughs> Come on, I-, I gave you a three percent chance of getting it when three? I read it. Jesus. <laughs> You think <laughs> that's that's been my life though? It's Harley's everywhere. I, okay. I've also learned that people come to Cave Creek 
I feel like they retire and it's now a time for them to let their freak flag fly. Do you know what I'm saying? Like you see like 70 year old guys with leather and the tattoos. It's like I've, I was a dentist for 40 years, but boy, I'm a biker now. I'm a, I'm a hell's angel. It's time. It's time to let the, the freak flag fly. I see those people everywhere down here. I love it. It's oh, so funny to me. Gosh, that's funny. All right. Well, I, I could have been yeah. guessing for a long time. I would not have come up with Harley. Sorry, but I now know. Yeah. I, I now know. Where are you? On, you know. What's your level of experience with MRIs? Have you ever had an MRI done on any part of your body? Have you ever been in an MRI machine, Hotshot Scott? If you're looking up like no. that, then the answer is no. I mean, I mean, you either have or you haven't. You wouldn't look up and say to yourself, "I got to figure that out." Either you have, yeah, or you yeah. Have. No, no MRIs. No, no. I think that I'd be a little claustrophobic for that too, right? Isn't oh, it kind see, of a tight quarters. See, you're beating me to the punch. It beat me. To, I had oh, my, well, I mean, I think I had my first MRI on Friday. Oh, your first one. Okay. Yeah. yeah I don't, I've, I've never been in that, that big machine that like takes your whole body. Yeah. In. Like, well, it could be your knee. It could be your ankle. Could yeah. be your leg. Could be your arm. Could be your head. Could be anything. I had my first MRI on my back on Friday and you just mentioned what I wanted to bring up. I know there's probably a lot of people in our audience who've had, who've had MRIs before. I had my first MRI yeah. and when I was at the appointment, when I was at the appointment a few days earlier when they wanted to schedule, they took a look at me and they said, we'd like to schedule an MRI to see what's going on in your back. They asked me a few questions, one of which was, do you have any metal in you? And I said, no, like I don't that. have any metal in me. And then, <laughs> no, they, he, In fact, you hate Iron Maiden and all those bands. <laughs> no, As a matter of fact, no you heavy got no metal, metal at no, all. No. no, I have a little Stevie Nicks, but I don't have any metal. Um, <laughs> right. I said to the, and they also asked me the question that you just brought up. They said, are you claustrophobic? Oh, they do ask. They, they, well, she, well, she asked me, and I said, I don't know. I, I never thought of myself as claustrophobic. I never had an episode. I've never been in anything where I felt, like, uh, uncomfortable. So I, I kind of laughed at it and said, no, I think I'm okay. I don't think, I don't think you're dealing with somebody who's claustrophobic. And she said, well, okay. some people get a little bit crazy in these machines. And I was like, ah, I don't think I'm going to be that guy. So I, I leave the office. <laughs> Three days later, this past Friday, I go in. And I put on whatever they put on and they're doing the back and there's the machine. I'm looking at the machine. And I'm, I'm not freaking out at all. The machine looks fine. It's exactly the kind of machine that I, I thought that I had visualized. They put me on the, on the, the conveyor belt and they hit the button and hotshot. I have an announcement at age 53. <laughs> oh no. I'm claustrophobic. <laughs> Well, I was thinking to myself, who isn't? Isn't everyone sort of claustrophobic? I mean, are there people who, who just can't I never put knew. them in a trunk and they're fine? I, I mean, don't know. I never knew. I never viewed myself as claustrophobic, but I'm here to tell you that when they when they hit the button, oh no. they put the music, the headsets on me. When they put hit the button yep. and I went into this machine, I can tell you what my biggest problem, what my biggest mistake was. If I ever do it again, I, I won't make the same mistake. But they hit the button and I go in the machine. I'm like, this is no no big yeah. deal. And then I'm in there and I'm like, freaking out. I I've never had something like this happen before. The my saving grace. I was in there for 25 minutes. My saving grace hotshot was if I if I move my head like this, I'm showing you on Zoom, I could see yeah. outside. I was just close enough to the edge where I could see the lights and the rest of the room. If I just tilted my head a little bit, if they had moved me another six inches into the machine, 
I would have. Oh. I literally would have been crawling out of there, going, "I can't do this. I can't do this." <laughs> I was freaking. Scary. I was freaking out. I, I and I I never knew myself to be claustrophobic, but I just wanted to. I figured that the unfiltered listeners needed to know that I'm claustrophobic. At age 53, I'm claustrophobic. I guess I am, unless I'm just MRI claustrophobic. I don't know what the ruling on that is, but. Anyway. And again, yeah, I don't even know if it's fair to say you're claustrophobic. I think most people would hate to be in that confined space. Does that mean does that really mean you're claustrophobic? I mean, I don't know. Like if someone threw you in the back of a car trunk, you'd be freaking out. I guess maybe whether you're claustrophobic or not. You know, somebody has to. There's a, there's another one you have to write me at Mitch Unfiltered, Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. Am I claustrophobic? I will tell you this: that the mistake that I made, and then we'll move on, is I didn't look through the machine. In other words. At the bottom where my feet are, hot shot, it's not enclosed. Yeah. It, you understand? It's a big hole. It oh, goes okay. all the way through. And I hadn't seen that when I was in there for 25 minutes. I think if I had noticed, I didn't. I was not concerned with the machine, so I did not bend over and see that you could see right through it. I wish I had known that my feet were almost out of the machine altogether and there was... There was life on the other side of the machine, so to speak. I don't know. Yeah. I, until you said that, I just assumed they were closed at the other end. But no, you're it's saying not. It's like, it's, it's like that, that it's magic cylinder. box where they cut the lady in half. It's a cylinder. You feed her out one end. and okay. It's just yeah, a yeah. cylinder. It's like a, a little, uh, you, know those, um, you know those little appetizer hot dogs? The little wieners? You know those? <laughs> Where the wiener yeah, goes pigs in a blanket. The, yes, yeah, I'm pigs in the blanket. Where the yes. pigs in the blanket. Where the pig goes in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And a pig comes out the other side. That's kind of the MRI <laughs> right, machine. Gotcha. Yeah. So I didn't realize that, and I was freaking out. I, I'm I'm glad that I was able to make. Wow. It. Anyway. Anyway. What do you listen to in the headphones? Do they give you music yes, to chill you I, out? Or yeah, what? they said, what kind of music do you want? I said, I wanted, oh, to, go, I wanted to go to sleep. <laughs> so I said, give me something soft. I want to go to sleep. Yeah. And they gave yeah, yeah. me something that was like Nora Jones or something. I don't know who it was. And I was, okay. uh, But I was not going to sleep because I, I was too busy freaking out to go to sleep. But I made it. I made wow. it through. I made it through 25 minutes in that thing. Do, I, know, I, I never want to be in that moment. No, I, not yet. Wednesday. I'll, I'll get the update on Wednesday. Okay. So there you go. Hey, uh, hey, Mitch and Hotshot at Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. Just a simple effing request. And he didn't, he didn't write effing. He wrote the word, okay? okay. Just <laughs> a right. simple effing request. The show needs more cussing. Well, that depends on who you ask, I guess. <laughs> the beauty right? of this guy writes, the beauty of podcasts, in my honest opinion, I-M-H-O, is that you can talk like most people in day-to-day life talk. See a guy at QFC not wearing a mask? What an effing asshole. And he doesn't write effing. Seahawks might trade Russell Wilson? No effing way. And he doesn't write effing. Hotshot okay. Scott was funny. Ha, nice effing try. And he doesn't write effing. <laughs> Good for him. Okay. He goes <laughs> yeah. on He goes on to say, using minced oaths, as my mother liked to call them. I've never heard that expression. Minced oaths like freaking or effing is so effing stupid. Everyone fills in the effing blank in their head anyway. If someone gets offended, eff them. It's an effing podcast. Would this detract from your journalistic integrity? You just did a bit on the priest farting on parishion, on, on par- parishioners for, for F's sake. <laughs> yeah, Mitch did. Boy, that's, I couldn't believe you brought that up. Go on. <laughs> so step up. We need more golf course language. And if you don't, I'm going to effing cancel my effing patron account, okay? <laughs> Actually, I won't because I love your effing show. 
Brian. <laughs> I am someone who has a bit of a potty mouth. I, I do. But, you know, after doing radio for 18 years, you have a switch. I have a switch. You can just flip it. Yeah. And no curse words can come out. Right. It's a little looser on the podcast, but but I don't I don't let it fly like I normally do. I, I don't know. Is, is there a reason that we don't say the F word? Is it is it because you have to some sort of like um, no. the podcast world? You well, have to go to a different level or something? Or? Well, I think there's a couple of things in play, and I'm glad that you brought up that the conversation. I think his his email and I know and I actually know Brian. Brian's one of the all-time nicest guys, and I've known him for a lot of years, and I've never heard him use the F word, by the way, just huh, just, okay. just for the record. But it brings up an interesting conversation. Yes, the answer to your question is, I think we have to hit a little button that says obscene language or something when we... Well, when, when explicit, we, maybe. Explicit, whatever. Ob, ob, obscene. Ex, obscene. Explicit, <laughs> la- <laughs> explicit obscene. language when we fill out the podcast form. Yes, but I... I Look, when we st- when I decided to do a podcast, my first thought was, "Hey, I can, I can use my everyday language." Yeah, and, and I don't know. I I I thought I probably would. In my mind, I thought when we started two and a half years ago, when Jason Hamilton was sitting on the other side. But then it's funny, something happened where I started to do the show, and I just never really felt all. I mean. I never felt all that comfortable, especially with the F word. So I just never have. I don't. I, I don't know. Hmm. I, I don't know that I've made a conscious decision. Okay, we're not using certain words because young people might be listening, or we have to flip the switch at Apple Podcasts or something and put the obscene, yeah. the obscene thing on there, uh, explicit thing on there. <laughs> I just, for whatever reason, around a microphone. I guess maybe it's like what you're saying. I've always done it a certain way, and I guess we have yeah. used the word shit a little bit. Uh, bullshit. Yeah, yeah. I said bullshit a couple <laughs> times, but in terms of the F word and 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 bigger words than shit, I um, I don't know. I just never have. I've never felt entirely comfortable around a microphone doing that. The reason that I don't is because I feel like I'm probably offending enough people as it is with stories about pastors that fart on the parishioners' heads. I'd rather do that than, than use up all my, my bad will with them by just using the F word every 10 seconds. So that's why I don't. Hey, you know, I, I don't think kids are listening, but there are plenty of adults who just don't like to hear it. And, you know, if you can control yourself, then, you know, why, why offend people when you don't have to? I'm sure I do it enough. I don't know the enough answer. As it is. I don't know the answer. Do you use the F word a lot in everyday life? I do love to swear. Yes, if that's what you're asking. Yes, I do. I mean, not around my family, of course, because they're you know they're both uptight. But um, yeah, I, I, I have a total potty mouth. <laughs> my wife's a stiff. She doesn't like any of that stuff. She's a teacher. You do know, you but, feel no, like I, I swear you, all the time? Do you feel like we're missing the boat on this podcast because we don't swear enough, like Brian says? I don't know if we're missing the boat. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I think people came to your podcast because they, they liked you on the radio. And, you know, you didn't swear, obviously, on the radio. So I don't, I, I don't know if they feel like they're, boy, it'd be nice if I could hear Mitch say the F word. Oh, 25 years you didn't say it. So, no, I don't think, I don't think you. Now, if we were a couple of stand-up comics that, that <laughs> swore in our act every day and then we did a podcast and then didn't swear, it'd probably be right. kind of weird. All right, Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com if you want to volley in an opinion to Brian's email. He says we should be using the F word all the time because we can. <laughs> On the podcast. Nice. Were you happy? <laughs> I like it. What's going on in the world of sports? Were you happy the other night when the half court, the nearly half court Gonzaga shot banked in and the Zags are still alive? I know by the time we people hear this, many people hear this, maybe the national championship game will be over on Monday night. Were you happy to see Mark Few and his crew advance by the skin of their chinny chin or the hair on their chinny chin chin? Hot shot. First of all, you're going to make me sweat more when I start talking about the Wi-Fi that was on the plane because oh, I had a 7 o'clock flight. Yeah. This airline, I'm not going to talk about, but they 
they profess to have internet and you can even stream live TV. And I'm thinking, everyone watches movies and TVs. No one's going to want to watch live TV. I'm going to be the only one. This is going to be awesome. Okay. In an hour's time, it didn't work. I, I would get like a screenshot. It's a one point game. 20 minutes later, screenshot. It's a two. It, this looks like the greatest game in the history of college basketball. People are saying like that. By the way, people are saying that it's one of the greatest games oh. in the history of the NCAA tournament. Overtime, 90s, I, great, great played game. It finally starts to work as we're descending, and I see Mark Few being interviewed, and they're re-showing the shot. And so even after all that, I still get Mark Few winning. Like I didn't even. It wasn't even like a good outcome after all my hard work. Literally an hour of hit and refresh, refresh, three devices. I couldn't even watch the damn thing. But no, to answer your question. I, I, no, I was rooting for UCLA. All the uh, I was rooting for UCLA. I don't think anybody needs me to tell you that. I'm not a, I'm not a weasel fan, but as we sit here yeah. on a Sunday night, they're going to play for the national championship, like it or not. Our last hope is Baylor. And by the way, real quickly in the, I got to give you the update. There yeah. is a possibility here that we are going to get away almost clean in the, in the, unfiltered March Madness competition with what fifteen hundred or whatever sixteen hundred. Um, participants. So here's the deal as we sit here on a Sunday night. Okay. Baylor is going to play Gonzaga. We know that. Yep. And our team, you got to beat everybody on our team, which is nine people deep. you got to beat everybody on our team to win a prize. Everybody who beats all of us wins a prize, right, with a grand prize. Well, yep. well, we've got Dan Black, who's the president of Zeke's Pizza, mm-hmm. who is sitting currently at 23rd position – and he's got Baylor and Gonzaga in the championship game. And he's got Ooh. Baylor beating Gonzaga in the national championship game. Okay? Okay. And then we've got John Waterstrat, coincidentally enough, from Fireside Home Solutions, the owner of Fireside mm-hmm. Home Solutions. He's, he's sitting in 99th position. And he's got Gonzaga and Baylor in the championship game with Gonzaga winning the national championship. So we're covered nice, on both ends. Now, now, here's the deal. If Gonzaga wins, John's not going to move up much because the vast majority of the people ahead of him, the 98 people ahead of them, also has Gonzaga. So he's not going to make any ground. So we're going to have to we're going to have to hand out quite a few prizes if Gonzaga wins. I don't know how many. I haven't calculated how many. Something in the neighborhood of probably 80, 80 prizes to the people who beat us, right? Okay. But let me give you the other news. If Baylor wins. So Dan Black, president of Zeke's Pizza, who's in 23rd, there are only two people ahead of him and the 22 people ahead of him that have Baylor winning. So if Baylor wins, he jumps from 23 over everybody except for two. He will finish third overall, Dan Black of Zeke's Pizza, if Baylor beats Gonzaga on Championship Monday, which means we would then have to pay, we would then have to give out how many prizes? Two. <laughs> that sounds like two. Two! <laughs> two, and we have all these but, We have all these certificates. We've got Daniel's certificates. We've got cash oh. prizes. We've got golf. <laughs> We've got all these things for everybody who beats all of us. We've got Mitch Unfiltered Patron Months, and yet if Baylor wins, we will have to hand out exactly two prizes Thanks to Dan Black of Zeke's Pizza. How about that? Two things. I love that you called in the cavalry and they freaking stepped up for us. <laughs> that I love. And I really hope that Dan Black took that exact bracket 
and entered it in a contest where the poor guy can actually win something. <laughs> I mean, God, he's got this incredible bracket and he gets nothing. 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 <laughs> poor but, guy. But Baylor hasn't, as, as we speak right now, Baylor hasn't beaten Gonzaga just yet. So yeah, they not, sure haven't, have they? No. <laughs> here's, here's, here's what kind of annoys me about, about you when the bracket first came out. You said to me, well, you know, it's kind of been Gonzaga, Baylor all year, those two. I mean, you made it very clear when the bracket came out that yeah. those are like the two best teams. Yes, I did. And you picked a team that lost in the first freaking round. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Where, well hold on a can second. Can you take your own advice hold, at some no, point? No, well, hold on a second. How often do the best two teams play in the national championship game? Just, just because they know. were the almost, this year. Um, true, uh, almost now. The answer is <laughs> almost now. Well, here's here's the pretty okay. cool thing from a sports relate from a sports perspective. Here's the pretty cool thing about it. You probably don't know this or remember this. On December the fifth, twenty twenty, just last December the fifth, Gonzaga was scheduled to play Baylor in an out of conference college basketball game, and it got canceled because of COVID tracing. So they never played, and everybody was like at the time, oh, my God, these were the best two teams in the country. They were supposed to play on December the 5th. It never happened. Well, guess what? Here's the make good. They're going to play in the national championship game instead of December the 5th. Right? Love it. Yeah. We have a we have a, a place already booked at a sports bar reservation. We're nice. Gonna sit, I'm going to watch the whole thing. No airplane, cockamamie, internet, nothing. I'm going to sit and – but uh, we, can we give a little a little credit to the, the Pac-12 and how not only how well they did in the men's, but how about the national champion being for the women's yep. a Pac-12 school as well? Stanford how about that? over Arizona on Sunday night in a very close game. I think they had played two or three times before, but yes, Conference yep. of Champions. Somewhere Bill Walton is having a cocktail. <laughs> Who knew that guy was right the whole time, right? He's right. Conference, Conference of, Champions. of Champions. Yeah, but holy crap! No Pac-12 teams left now. I mean, you had no. you had UCLA finish Gonzaga off the other night. We would really oh. have a Conference of Champions. Bill Walton, UCLA, great. I mean, could you? He, oh, you wouldn't want to have been in the same state. As Bill, well, nobody's in the same state as Bill Walton as you, as you might imagine. Anyway, I, I have yes. I have one last thing, by the way, for the first, and I have a whole bunch of other stuff for the other stuff. So hopefully, I can I can get my stuff in too in the other stuff segment. We got three great interviews, but I, I I do want to mention one other story in the first segment before we go to the interviews. Okay, and that's the Jaron. Are you following the Jaron Reed Seattle Seahawks story? I'm a little irritated. I'm a little I'm a little verklempt. I'm a little annoyed i want to get something off my chest here in the first segment about jaron are you following the jaron reed as you schwitz i think you've lost like seven pounds so far um oh well let's make the show three hours okay, okay. and then you can use a little more i think the show is three hours <laughs> um, so th the last thing i've heard is that he's joining frank clark on the chiefs he's joining frank clark on the chiefs he left the seahawks oh. because he was annoyed that they wouldn't give him a long-term contract. Do you not know that? Do you know that that story? Do I no. need to? Okay, so here's the story. Jaron Reed was in the final year of a two-year contract coming up. He was to make nine million dollars, yep. nine million dollars mostly in salary in the year 2021. And John Schneider, and just like all other GMs do, he tried to restructure his contract, and and he needs he needs the player's permission to do it. In other words, and all he needed to do, he wanted to take the $9 million in salary and make that a signing bonus instead of salary and make his salary very small to bring down the salary cap number so that he had more flexibility to go out and get other players, okay? The, the, the end, you don't need to know more than that. The end result is the player still gets everything he was going to get. It's just called yeah. something different, and I believe he gets it up front 
instead of waiting week by week, like getting paychecks, he would get the nine oh. million as I think he gets the nine million as a signing bonus, and he gets it right up front. So essentially, the player actually makes more money, I would think, in interest if you want to go that direction. But he gets all right. the money. Jaron Reed would have gotten all the nine million that he wanted, and Jaron Reed's reaction to the Seahawks was, "No, I, I, I want better. I want a, I want an extension." You gave Puna Ford an extension. You gave him a new contract. I want a new contract. At which time the Seahawks said, we're not interested right now in giving you a new contract. Maybe down the road, but we're not even guaranteeing you one down the road. What we would like you to do is play for the $9 million this year, and then we'll, we'll figure things out. Either we'll say goodbye or we'll do a new contract at a later date. But we're not giving you any guarantees of a new contract, but we are still willing not to cut you, but we'll give you the $9 million for this year because we want you to be on our team at a $9 million yeah. rate. Okay. He said no. He said, then I'm not agreeing to a restructure. Okay? At which yeah. time they cut him, which means they didn't have to give him the $9 million. Okay? Right. Okay? Now he's got a little bit of dead money, but now he's free to go somewhere else. And he ends up signing with the Kansas City Chiefs for how much, Hot Shot Scott? I don't remember. One year, $5 million. Oh, he signs God. a one year, $5 million deal. The $5 million deal can go to, depending upon incentives, if he reaches his incentives, it could be $7 million, but it's guaranteed $5 million. He's guaranteed $5 million to play one season with the Kansas City Chiefs. And he was asked in the aftermath... Well, wh- why did you do that? Why, why did yeah. you wh- why did you walk away? Did you know you were going to make less money? And the, as the story goes, his agent told him, "Yes, we're probably not going to make as much money next year than nine million. You're going to have to take a pay cut." And and Jaron Reed's reaction and answer was the following: I wanted to go somewhere where I was where I felt wanted. That was more important oh. than anything else. So let me. And herein lies my frustration. Okay. How do you figure? How does Jaron Reed? Somebody needs to explain to me why he feels more wanted by a team that gave him a one-year contract for $5 million guaranteed dollars to play next season as opposed to the other team who said to him, we'd like you to be here so much so that for next year that we want to pay you $9 million for the one year. $5 million for the one year in Kansas City – or seven, nine million for the one year in Seattle. How do we figure that he feels more wanted by the team? Did the Chiefs give him the long-term contract extension more than the year? Yes or no? No, no they did not. No, they did not. <laughs> they obviously are saying to him that we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it, but if they wanted to give him an extension beyond one year, they could have, and they didn't. Yeah. Somebody needs to please explain to me how Jaron Reed is now in a situation where he feels more wanted than he was in Seattle when he would have <laughs> would have made nine million versus five million on a one year deal. If anyone's listening, I'm happy to be unwanted for nine million dollars a year. <laughs> I, you, I I can be as unwanted as the as anybody for nine million dollars a year. I, I I don't get that that whole pride thing. And what's his agent doing, by the way? What's his agent doing? Like, dude, sit him down and tell him this no, is a no. business. According to everybody who's, who's, who knows, who has information, he did just that. 
He yeah. said he but said to him, handcuff him to the Seahawks. Building. Oh, okay. I mean, well, come he, on. He said to him before he walked away from the Seahawks. He said, "Dude, we are not going to get as much money next year to play somewhere else." Now, maybe they right. thought that they would get a multi-year contract. And by the way, if if this were if this were a story about him getting two years, twelve million. Even if it was less money than the Seahawks, if it was a two-year contract in Kansas City or a three-year contract in Kansas City that was average less year than this, I would not be making this big stink. Then I would right. say, okay, he's playing for less money per year, but he's going to a place that has said to him, we want you for two years, we want you for three years, and here it is in writing that we do want you for those years. He, he didn't yeah, do that. He, more wanted. Uh, okay, then you can make that comment. But <laughs> the Chiefs... <laughs> And, and let me tell you something. If if Jaron Reed plays well in Kansas City this year, he will get a new deal in Kansas City next year. If Jaron uh-huh. Reed had played well for $9 million and played really well for the Seahawks, he would have gotten a new contract for next year. And the yeah. flip side is also true. If Jaron Reed sucks the joint out in Kansas City, the Chiefs are going to walk away from him like this, just like yep. – if he sucked the di- – there is no difference except he could have made more money. In my world, the Seahawks wanted him a lot more than the Chiefs wanted him, $4 million right. a year more. God forbid that the, the, the man gets hurt next year or something and he can't play. I mean, that extra $4 million, this is the NFL. That, that money, you know, this isn't going to last forever, dude. Take that extra $4 million for a rainy day. That's crazy. I, I I just assumed the Seahawks just couldn't afford him, or I didn't know what the deal was. They actually offered more. He, he would have been a lot better off. As we, as we go to the interviews, he would have been a lot better off saying the following hot shot. I knew that I had a chance to join a team that's going to be one of the one of the front right. runners, if not the front runner, to win a ring. That's all I wanted was to win a ring. When if yep. he would have and he and he did say something like that, but if he would have stayed with that. And not gone down the road of they wanted me more. Don't give me they wanted you more. They did not want you more. They did As not want fact. you more. Okay. Yeah, it's, when you started this story, I thought you were going to say, well, he wanted to play for a winner. That's why he took less money. I, I, I thought that was the whole thing. But well, then that's fine. That's fine. That's no, but fine. That's, that's, that's not his only reason no, for, no. for taking less money. The Chiefs, I wanted to go somewhere where I was wanted more. Gosh. I, Oh, put your pride aside, big boy. I mean, come on, take the cash. Big boy. Big boy. All right. Episode 136, three interviews and then another stuff segment. Lindsey Schwartz is back with us. He's the CEO of Daniel's Broiler, of course. And I'd imagine, Lindsey, that with expanding dining room capacities, vaccines, you guys should be seeing some forward momentum these last few weeks and months at Daniel's Broiler. We are for sure. It's been a crazy year, obviously, but uh, over the past several months, every week we get a little bit busier. And uh, now that we can seat up to 50% capacity and tables of 10, we've got pretty much every available seat full every night. So you have Les Shy, South Lake Union, and the Bellevue locations open. Tell me a little bit about what that's meant to your business, the expanded capacity in the dining rooms. Well, you know, we sell the six foot rule. And so at 50% now, it's about as many tables as we could concede and still keeping them six feet apart. So it's about as much business as we'll be able to do 
until there's a, another significant change. But it's good. You know, we, we're fortunate that we have pretty big footprints in our locations and we're able to seat a lot of people. And remember, we have outdoor seating at all three locations as well. So um, uh, we got a good amount of seats available. Nice. Takeout and delivery on the rise at Daniel's Broiler as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's one of the one of the nice things that's come out of all this is we've really, really seen a huge upswing in our delivery to go business. And, and even as we get more people back inside, the delivery takeout continues to be really, really solid. So we think that's a really a new piece of business for us that's here to stay. And uh, it just gives people more options. We all love special occasions at Daniel's Broiler. And before you know it, Mother's Day will be here, Lindsay. Yeah, that's one of the biggest days of the year, one of the biggest weekends of the year. It's really nice that we now can do groups of up to 10. And as you said, more people are getting vaccinated. And for people who want to come out and have a larger group, a group up to 10, we can now accommodate that. So we're really excited and just in time for Mother's Day. It's going to be a really great day. Fantastic. Always been a great partner of mine, both in the radio days and now with Mitch Unfiltered. Daniels Broiler, world-class steakhouses. Unfiltered. I remember throwing up in a bush outside the pump house <laughs> the night before the 81 Apple Cup. And then the next day, going to the Apple Cup and, and being excited because when you mention about needing something else to happen, we didn't need anything else to happen in that game either. We just needed to beat the Huskies and we were going to go to the Rose Bowl. But you guys needed USC, UCLA. They were playing at the same time that day. You needed one of those teams to win. I forget which one it was. So you not only beat us, but you got what you needed to happen in L.A. to happen. So you ended up going to the Rose Bowl and we ended up losing. The other thing I remember about that game, we didn't have tickets and we snuck in and we pretended we were concessionaires and we, we checked in like we were guys coming to sell Coke or peanuts or whatever. And we just saw the sheet and signed our names. Hey, joining us here on episode 136, I feel like I've done this before, is a man <laughs> who's been writing and talking about Northwest sports for a long time. The punchline was funny three times ago. I think he's only 32 years old. He's writer, broadcaster, smartass, dog lover, golf connoisseur. He's the crimson and gray man, the go-to guy, Jim Moore. Hi, Jim. Mitch, how are you? I'm doing okay. How are you doing, Jim? <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm down here in Arizona, and I'm, uh, I'm doing okay with the technology, and uh, I'm happy to be here today with you. <laughs> tap your screen, Jim. Every once well, in a while, tap your screen, okay? <laughs> I can't even begin to tell you. So, you know, I was at Cairo for 10 years, and I can't even begin to tell you. I always felt like I was a newspaper guy on the radio, and I'd have, you know, my boss would say, no, 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 you're a sports talk show host now. And I'd say, no, 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 I'm a newspaper guy who happens to be on the radio, and I would prove it almost on a daily basis because <laughs> at some point I'd forget to turn on the damn on button, you know? I mean, you know, it was just like... And I'd start talking, and then, you know, somebody, the producer would be like, turn on your on button, you know? I was like, so, yeah. So it's it's par for the course what I'm doing here in, in Phoenix, trying to figure out uh, the connection here. But so far, so good here, Mitch. Yeah, Thanks so again. far, so good. Listen, uh, you and I have known each other for a long, long time. We've never gotten a chance to work together. I've always wanted you to come on the show, but I couldn't have you on the show. I wasn't allowed to have you on the show because your boss is – at uh, ESPN Radio when they were your bosses wouldn't let me. But now that you're here, we have to catch up. I hope you're in a good storytelling mood 
because that's what we want on Unfiltered. We want the go-to guy to tell us stories. We want Uncle Jim, Grandpa Jim, to tell us stories here on episode 136. And I want you to start off with one that you're going to say, oh, my God, this is the worst one because it's not a great story. I don't even know how you got the go-to guy nickname. Can you please explain this to me? The go-to guy nickname. Uh, yeah, that was uh, that was one that I didn't really approve of, but <laughs> it was back when I worked at the PI, and they told me, they go, hey, Jim, David McCumber, the managing editor there, we'd like you to write a page two sports column. And uh, I thought, okay, that sounds great. I'm looking forward to it. And we had it all ready to go, and I was going to start on a Monday. And everything was in place. And then on a Saturday, I went down. I was living over in Port Orchard at the time. Went down, got the PI out of my box, and walked back up the driveway. And I opened up the paper, and I see this column by David McCumber saying, yeah, read Jim Moore on Monday. He's our go-to guy. We're going to call him the go-to guy. And I thought, <laughs> well, uh, okay, I, get, you know, I, I thought that was kind of ridiculous. I, I mean, I, I'm no one's go-to guy for anything, except for maybe, you know, bad bad wagers or something but then i thought well okay he's the managing editor he's my boss if he wants to call me the go-to guy then i'll just go with it so i just went with it and i haven't really been called the go-to guy much lately uh you know after being 10 years over there at cairo radio but and the pi closing in 2009 but uh yeah the nickname kind of stuck there for a while and I mean, every once in a while, somebody will say, hey, go-to guy. And I'm like, yeah, hold on, I guess hold on, that's hold on, me. Hold on a second now. I'm not letting you off the hook so easy here. Your email, you had me email you to something called the go-to guy. Did you not? Yeah. <laughs> I did, Mitch, but I'm going to get the last. See, my sister, when, when the PI went out of business, I was look. I, you know, I had the old jmore at seattlepi.com. That was my old my old email address and I didn't have a personal email address at the time and so then she was like well hey hey bro you need to you need to go with Jim Moore the go-to guy because that's what people know you as and so that emails from 2009 after the PI closed and then I would probably change it but I don't know how, Mitch. So I just, I'm staying with it. So 26 yeah. years, 26 full-time years at the PI, and then a few more years as a freelance. But how many years on the radio? How'd you enjoy? It's funny because you already started, you already beat me to the punch because I've worked with a lot of the newspaper guys over the years that have transitioned into our world, the TV and radio world, and they all say the same thing. I'll never forget what Kornheiser said to me the first day that I was to produce his show in 1992. He looked at me in the eye and he said, Mitch, I'm a writer. I am not a broadcaster. I am a writer. I'm a newspaper writer. Don't ever forget that. How, how did you like, how many years at Cairo, and how did you like the whole Cairo talk radio daily show experience, Jim? Well, I, Mitch, I enjoyed it for the most part. It was uh, something I never in a million years expected to do. I, I always, even though I was a writer and had to ask questions at news conferences and do all kinds of interviews, I always had this stage fright a little bit about... Uh, a public appearance if I ever made one or you know doing something on TV which I rarely did um, or any even when I would go on with Graz and Gas just when, when you guys were coming back from break I could feel my palms sweating a little bit and getting a little nervous I did I really did and I don't know why and even 
even you know and I tell people that at three o'clock every day when our show started when you know when the big voice guy came on and said you know it's time for Danny David Moore you know I was like oh my god here we go I, I hope I can I hope I can get through another show here today without someone figuring out that I'm a fraud uh, you know so I just I just was so appreciative big picture I look back and I'm thinking man I can't believe I lasted 10 years because when I went in for the audition I sat in with Calabro and I thought it went well for the most part it was probably 10 minutes and Kevin asked me some questions about being a coog and that kind of thing so I mean he set me up really well but at some point I don't know why I did this but at some point I swore uh -oh. And and I knew we weren't on the air. It was just an audition. But Owen Murphy was the program director at the time. Sure. And, God, he just chastised me. He just ripped me hard. He was like, what are you doing? You can't swear. And I go, well, yeah, but it's just an audition. I know it's not on the air. So I, I walked out. I, I kind of had my tail between the legs when I walked out. And I remember my dog being with me. And I looked at him. And I go, Willie, that did not go well. And... Uh, one thing led to another, and uh, I, I started out just somehow being like one of these so-called one-hour-a-guy-a-week that showed up, you know, as a like a Seahawks insider or something. And then one day I got a call from, from Owen saying, hey, would you like to come in and sit with Kevin on a daily basis? And, uh, yeah, it, it just it lasted for 10 years. I do – you want to hear another story? Hold on. You said you, you want to – Say, see, the, the, the punchline of that story is when Owen called you year, a long time later to ask if you want to do that, you should have said, F yeah. should have cursed at what? him at that point, right? <laughs> yeah, I probably – I, I can tell you um, – I, I did call KJR too. Oh. After after the PI closed. Oh. And I, I talked to Rich Moore. Yeah. And okay, so the conversation kind of went like this. I, I said, Rich, you know, it's Jim Moore from the PI. I'm I'm looking for work. The PI's closed. And he basically said, Well, Jim, you know, we're not going to hire any Cougars here to work at our station. <laughs> and I. I was thinking to myself, wait a minute, you got Ian Furness working there, who's a Coog. You got Jason Puckett, who's a Coog, working there. What do you mean you're not going to hire any Cougs? And then he said something else and was just kind of joking around. And I just, I don't know why I did this, Mitch, but I just said, bleep you, Rich. <laughs> and then, and he goes, <laughs> there was a pause and he goes, well, that's not going to help you get hired. And I was like... <laughs> No, I know you're right. You're right. Uh, but um, oh anyway, yeah, it's uh, yeah. Kevin, you know, Kevin Calabro really uh, went to bat for me. Um, I ended up working with him for a little while, and he was going to work with Dave Grosby, and then they ended up giving Dave Grosby his own show. So I was able to stay with Kevin until Kevin left and went on to do some NBA stuff, and and then I just kind of I was. You know, I was tied to Kevin's hip, though. I was told that. They basically told me, look, you're they didn't say you're tied to Kevin's hip, but I understood the, the, the reading between the lines that if Kevin left, I was a goner, too. So um, I don't know how I hung in there for 10 years, honestly. I, I mean, it was, you're it was so much fun. I really enjoyed it. And, I, you know, there's times when I think to myself, gee, I wish I was still doing that. But other times I'm more philosophical and I go, Man, Jim, really? You lasted 10 years doing that? Good job, buddy. <laughs> I think you were damn good doing it. I think you're a terrific writer. I've been a fan of yours from afar for a long, long time. Jim Moore, 
uh, formerly the go-to guy, <laughs> is with us on, yeah. uh, on episode 136. So listen, I got I, I to gotta catch up on some stories. I'll throw out the topic. You tell me the story, okay? All right. Gary Payton and the toothpaste, please. <laughs> you know, I never get tired of telling that story because it was just so bizarre. Um, although I'm a little sketchy on the details. I, you know, it was one of those playoffs. You remember back when they – uh, they were having a hard time getting out of the first round. Yes. Uh, they, you know, they lost to the Nuggets, and then they lost to Nick Van Exel and the Lakers in the first round. And then here they are playing against the Sacramento Kings. And they, I think they won game one in the first round, and they lost game two, and both of them were in Seattle. And I'd heard that um, Gary – somebody – I didn't have that many sources, Mitch, but I did have someone <laughs> tell me that Gary that night after the game – now, they lost to Sacramento, and here they were, you know, in a position yep. of, oh, my goodness, here go the Sonics again. They're going to be blown out in the first round. Yep. But I found out that Gary Payton had to go to a Swedish hospital or something to get, get IV fluids. I mean, basically, the story from my perspective was going to be – you know, the Sonics lost, but the glove left it all on the floor to the point that he had to go to Swedish hospital to get an IV to get extra fluids. He spent the night at the hospital. I knew it was a story that no one else had, and I wanted to go with it. And so I went up to him before game three in Sacramento, and I just, you know, said, hey, Gary, you know, this is what I heard. You know, what about it? Can you tell me about it? And I even told him, I go, Gary, I go, this is, you know, such a terrific story. It just shows, you know, it's symbolic of an athlete who went the extra yard to the point that he had to go to the hospital. And, and he, he looked at me, he looked up at me and he goes, so what's that got to do with basketball? And I, I just looked down at him and I said, well, Gary, I go, you know, it's just such a great story. And I repeated myself to him about what I just told you. And he looked up at me again and he goes, so what's that got to do with basketball? And I think I tried one more time to convince him because I thought it was such a good story that I wanted to give it my best shot. And he gave me that what's it got to do with basketball thing again. And so I just looked at him and I go, you know what, Gary, I'm sick of your shit. I'm just sick of your shit, man. And so he stood up. Yeah. And basically, you know, normally as a reporter, you you know, I mean, for so many years with Gary Payton, and if I'm him, I'm sick of reporters always, you know, there with a notepad and, <laughs> and a tape recorder, you know, like, oh, God, what's Jim Moore going to ask me today? You know, I don't blame him for being sick of that, but that was our job. And they were a big deal in town at the time, and he was a star player. So, you know, what are you going to do? Typically, though, I would walk away and say, Gary, thanks for your time you know have a good evening or whatever but I, I just had enough I, I just I couldn't take it anymore and so after I said Gary I'm sick of your shit he stood up and he got in my face and he said so what are you gonna do about it and I, I didn't really have a comeback I didn't know like what am I gonna do like I'm 38 at the time and I'm you know kind of flabby and I'm not much of a fighter anyway and he He's looking at me, and I could tell that he was very unhappy, Mitch. <laughs> so, but I didn't want to just say, well, you know, Gary, I'm not really going to do anything about it. I'm just going to put my tail between my legs and walk out of the locker room again like I always do. But, and so instead, I just happened to notice he had just brushed his teeth, and he had toothpaste in the corner of his mouth. And so I just, I, I go, you know, Gary, I go, I still don't know why I said this, but I go, Gary, you you have a little toothpaste in the corner of your mouth right there. And, and he just, he, he didn't say anything. He was ready to, to, I mean, he was ready to deliver a roundhouse right. And it was either, 
Sam Perkins or David Wingate, uh, you know, they they grabbed him and pulled him away from oh, me, God. and then and and then George Carl came. He saw there was a ruckus, and so George <laughs> bear hugged me. And then, then all it was, I don't know if we can swear on your podcast you can, or not. Go ahead, I, I, it's okay. No, but it's, it's, it's the F word. Ba- okay. Well, basically, we just, all we did after that was like, bleep you, bleep you, bleep you, bleep you, bleep you, <laughs> back and forth. And then uh, I was escorted out of the locker room, and, you know, and I thought, oh, oh God, God, Jim, you've really done it this time. You're probably going to get suspended or something. Um, and then what the result of it was is that I couldn't, talked to Gary for two days, I think, or maybe three days, so I couldn't quote Gary in my stories. And then after that, it was, you know, we got along okay, and it was kind of chilly. Uh, but, you know, he was he was cordial enough that I could do my job. And to his credit, you know, I saw him at a some sort of charity benefit. I think it was a, a John Howie charity benefit several years, you know, after he retired. And he was probably 48 or 50 at the time, and um, you know he he was very cool. He, he looked like he was actually happy to see me, and we had a nice conversation. And yeah, so it was, but you know it just gets that way sometimes. And now you know, I mean, it happened so long ago. But if it happened, uh, you know, in these times, it, it probably would have been a bigger deal than it was. But I, I always liked Gary Payton. I always appreciated how hard he played, and. I, I kind of understood why he, he got sick. I, I mean, I'd be sick of it, too. Reporters in there all the time. But, yeah, that's okay. basically the gist of the story okay. there, Mitch. Okay, it's, it's Masters Week. It's one of our favorite weeks. You and I share a passion, a love for the game of golf. Next story from Grandpa Jim. The question to Tiger Woods. <laughs> Tell us. <laughs> uh, that one was because I, I just, as a columnist, uh, I was a columnist at the time, and I think I went to the Masters four times, uh, four or five times. And Mitch, you're right. Uh, when I got the assignment, and that's the thing, you know, I never got rich as a sports writer. I never really did, uh, but I never regretted uh, choosing to be a sports writer for a career because. Uh, to go to Augusta was something I always wanted to do. And not only did I go to Augusta, but I played there twice, wow. which was, you know, I won the media lottery a couple times and got to play there. And it was just fantastic. And the first time I went there, I couldn't, I drove by my hotel and it was getting dark, but I just, I had to get there. And I, I walked the back nine and, you know, the carts had their lights on and everything. And I was just like, man, here's number 10, here's 11, here's 12 over Ray's Creek and everything. So I was always excited to be there. But the one thing I wanted to do every time I was there is I didn't want to write stories that everybody else was writing. I thought to myself, you know, if I'm going to be here, if the paper's going to send me here, I want to write something that you can't get anywhere else. And I'm a dog lover. And I'd read that Tiger had a couple of dogs, and I just thought, okay, Jim, this is going to take some, <laughs> this is going to take some guts here. But all these golf writers are going to be sitting here in this in this press room. Tiger's going to be up there at the podium, and are you really going to ask him about his dogs? And I just sat there again. My palms were sweating, and I just, you know, I, I waited for my turn. And when it was my turn, I just kind of blurted out, you know, everybody else is asking about, hey, Tiger, what do you think of the course conditions? And, you know, Tiger, what's the state of your game? And, you know, Tiger, how are you going to play this hole? And, Tiger, can you, you know, win another Masters? And then all of a sudden it's my turn. You know, Jim Moore from the Seattle Post-Intelligence. Hey, Tiger, um... Hey, how's your border collie doing? You know, and, I, and he had a, he had some other dog too, and I just, you know what though, Mitch? He he looked at me, 
and he smiled through the whole time he was answering questions. I, I was in, I got another follow-up question, something about, I don't know, I thought I was being funny, you know, like if you're Tiger Woods' dog, you get filet mignon, or I can't remember what I even asked him. It was, it was all a blur, but I, the whole time I was talking to him about his dogs, I kept thinking, number one, I want to give the readers something they're not going to get anywhere else. Number two, I know that all these other golf writers are looking at me going, hey, who's that idiot from Seattle in the front row up there? So I just went with it, though, and I wrote the story. And you know what? I'm proud of that damn story. I'm really proud of it. You can Google it if you want to read it. It's not the best column I ever read, but I can tell you one thing. No one else wrote about Tiger Woods and his dogs that day, but I sure as hell did. <laughs> oh, this is great. All right. You caddied for Charles Barkley, did you not, Jim Moore? That one was probably... Like, no one's ever said, hey, Jim, what's the highlight of your career? No one's ever said that to me. But if anyone did ever ask me that question, I would probably say that it was the day I spent with Charles Barkley. And, I, you know, Mitch, I don't know how much time you have. I'll try and, you know, get through this as quickly as possible. But I, it was a, there was a call that Barkley had, and I thought, and it was for a charity. That, you know, they were promoting the American Century Championship, the celebrity tournament they have in Lake Tahoe every year. And I just, you know, we were just supposed to ask softball questions and charity-related questions and that type of thing. And so then when it was my turn, I did ask him a softball question. And then I just thought, ah, Jim, just have a wild hair and, and see if you can caddy for him during the program portion of the event. And so I just said, after the first question and the second question, I say, Charles, any chance I could caddy for you during the, the Pro-Am day on Wednesday or Thursday or whatever it was? And he just said, yeah, sure, man. Look me up when, uh, when you get here. I was like, okay, cool. And, so, <laughs> and I, had, I had no idea how I was going to get a hold of him. I, I didn't have his cell or anything, but I figured that he'd be at a casino knowing that Charles likes to gamble. So I get there. I get to... Um, it was either Caesars Tahoe or might have been across the street at Harrah's or somewhere, one of the casinos. And he was in the high roller room. And I've never been in the high roller room. I mean, I, I like to throw the dice, you know, occasionally and, you know, go to sports books and that kind of thing. But I've never been in a high roller room because I, I always feel like if I went in there, I, I don't have the money to spend on gambling like that. And I, I'd probably, you know, like as soon as I walked in there to go talk to Barkley, somebody would say, hey, what are you doing here? You're not a high roller. But somebody convinced me to, I, I can't remember, it was a punter. A punter from the Giants. I forget who it was. And I told him what I was contemplating. He goes, ah, just walk in there. I get back there and I meet Barkley. And I said, hey, Charles, I'm the guy from Seattle. I said, I'd like to caddy for you tomorrow. And he goes, oh, yeah, 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 okay. And the thing I'll never forget is that he was talking to uh, Jim Fossil. of the. I think he was head coach sure. of the Giants at the time. Sure. And his daughter, Fossil's daughter, was with him at the time. And I'll never forget this. So he, he, he meets me, Barkley does, and then he's talking to Fossil and his daughter, and he's got, he's playing two hands at one time. And I mean, I know, I know red chips and green chips and black chips, you know, $5, $25, $100. Well, Barkley had these like chartreuse colored chips out there in front of him. And I, I had never really seen those chips before. And the dealer is sitting there asking, Charles, do you want to hit? Do you want to hit? Charles, do you want to hit? And he's still talking to Fossil, and come to find out 
these are $5,000 chips, so he's betting $15,000 a hand, and yet he's distracted talking to Jim Fossil and me, and I'm thinking, oh my God, if I had 15 grand out there, I'd be like looking at my cards, thinking, should I take a hit or not? Excuse me, you know, while I'm focused on what I'm doing here, but it, apparently that kind of money didn't mean as much to him as it would have to me. Um, but so then the next day we worked it out. I met him on the range. He um, he was hitting balls next to Michael Jordan. He was making fun of Jordan because Jordan had some sort of a golf device that he was trying to you know use to help with his swing. And Charles was sitting there going, "Look at the great Michael Jordan. He's got to use a damn golf device to help him out here on the on the range and just making fun of him and everything." And the other thing is, is that Barkley on the range, Mitch, he can hit some balls. I mean, he, there was like a five wood I think he pulled out and he hit it on a rope right down the line, nice lofted you know, shot and everything. It's just when he gets into, you know, when the shot actually means something, that's when he turns into a circus. And so I ended up caddying for him and um, he was very nice the whole day and I just had my notepad out all the time taking down quotes interactions he had with fans that type of thing if he ever hit a bad shot or a good shot I would write down a note after a while though and I was trying to pretend like I was an actual caddy and you know hey Charles you should use a seven iron here like at par threes I was trying to help him with <laughs> choosing clubs but he hit the ball so poorly that after a while it wouldn't matter what I handed him I mean he might have done better if he off with a putter on some of those par threes <laughs> so we get done and he thanks me he came over we were on the last fairway he came over and he goes look he goes I'm probably gonna be mobbed here at the end of this I want to thank you I really appreciate it and um, so then what I did was and it was getting late and I was on deadline and uh, God I had the adrenaline rush of all adrenaline rushes I knew I had a great story and I didn't want to screw it up but I didn't have much time to write but I still had to stop at the Circle K on the, on the way back to my hotel because I wanted to get a six pack of beer. And, and I, I go back to my room, I get the garbage can, I fill it with ice, I throw the beer in there, I sit down, I'm looking out at Lake Tahoe, I had about an hour and a half to write before my deadline, and I was just cracking beers and writing as fast as I could, and as soon as I hit that send button to, to send it in, I thought, damn, Jim, that was awesome! I was so fired up. It was such a fun day, it was like really, um, the number one highlight of my career was uh, that day with Barkley. It was so much fun. Now, when you and, uh, and Cairo separated, some might have asked the question, did Richard Sherman have Jim Moore fired at Cairo? That's, that, that was the question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, um, <laughs> that was uh, – yeah, I think Richard finally got his way on that. Um, my career was finally ruined. Um, but no, it, you, okay, I'll tell you about that. So I, you remember that Thursday night game and how he was upset about the Seahawks throwing the ball and um, it didn't work out and it goes back to the Super Bowl when they threw the ball when they're down inside the, you know, three yard line or whatever. And so he was questioning the offensive coordinator and the choice of play call there. And, you know, most people are thinking, you know, like Wyman, who I used to work with, you know, like you're a player, you know, you, you play and the coach's coach and, and that type of thing. But we all know what Richard Sherman was like. And so he was upset about the play call against the Rams in Thursday night football. Never mind that they went on to, to score anyway by using a pass. But 
there was a big to-do about that, as you recall, and so we went, we went there that day, and Pete Carroll came out and talked to the media, and he said, yeah, we worked it out with Richard, and, and uh, Pete basically said, I don't know if he used these words or not, but basically, he, he told all of us in the media room there that, yeah, Richard basically ap apologized and you know, saw the error of his ways, and you know, everything's okay. Well, then Sherman comes out after Carroll, he didn't hear Pete talking to us, and he was still, um, he was still defiant. Uh, he still was like, it was almost like, yeah, you know, he hadn't changed his mind, he hadn't really apologized, he still felt like it was a bad call or whatever, and I thought, well, that's opposite of what Carol just told us. And typically, Mitch, at these press conferences, I just sit there and you know write stuff down. I maybe will ask a question every once in a while, but I usually will let Condota and some of the other guys ask questions, and I don't I don't want to blurt stuff out. But I just was like, well, wait a minute. And so I I piped up and I was just like, well, wait, we just heard from Pete, and it sounded like, you know, you know what's going on. And then I can't remember what he said. And then I finally just said something like. Richard, let me, let me see if I have this right. So you think you have a better idea of what to call, uh, like, like as a defensive player for the Seahawks, than an offensive coordinator who's looking at the film and the tendencies for the other team, you think you've got a better idea than he does. And then he threw it back at me and he was like, well, I, I suppose you think you have a better idea. And I was like, well, no, it doesn't matter what I think. I just want, you know, basically want to know what you think. And so then one thing led to another, and he, you know, got, it seemed like he was really put out with my line of questioning. And then when he walked off the stage, he came by me, and he just said something like, I'm going to ruin your career. I was like, well, how are you going to do that? Because that was all, I, I just was so surprised. Like, how are you going to do that? And he goes, I'm going to have your press credential taken away. And Mitch, to this day, I really blew it. You know, I like to think I'm quick on my feet sometimes, but I wasn't <laughs> quick enough on my feet. And I just kind of went like, I think I just said, oh, oh really? Like, yeah, right. Yeah, the great Richard Sherman, you're going to be able to take my press credential away. Not like I think I was, you know, great or something or above something like that happening, but I just thought I'd never had a player tell me that before. But what I wish I had said, and I just regret it to this day, like when he said... I'm going to have your press credential taken away. I should have said something like, I, and I had my press credential on at the time. It was, it's a necklace thing. And I should have just ripped it off and said, here, take it. Then I won't have to interview assholes like you anymore. And I just screwed up. I should have said that, though. And I didn't. I blew it, Mitch. I, because I had, I had, I, I tried to be somewhat professional. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not known for being much of a professional at times. But uh, no, you know. And then, then it just kind of blew up. I, I heard from. I didn't think it was that big a deal. I went to Panera Bread, and I, you know, I'm just sitting there eating lunch. And then I happened to look at Twitter, and I saw Matt Calkins of the Times tweeted about it, and like, Richard Sherman threatened to end Jim Moore's career. And, you know, and then and I'm like, oh, okay. Well, because I just. You know, years and years of doing this, you know, you end up usually, and you know this, Mitch, you, you've upset people on the air with interviews at times. You're going to have a hundred interviews that go really well. But if you do this long enough, there's going to be times oh, where yeah. it gets contentious. Yeah. And uh, you're not, tr you don't want it like that, but it's, it's not that big of a, you know, I don't know, it just yeah. seemed like a mountain out of a molehill, but 
it blew up into something. And your your idea for a comeback would have been great. Here would have been another good one had you decided to use it. You could have also said to him when he said you're gonna he's gonna ruin your career. You could have also looked at him and said, Richard, you have a little toothpaste in the corner of your mouth. <laughs> Well, well, part of me was well. Well, there were two things that came to mind after that, though. Too, you know. Well, in addition to saying I should have, you know, just said here, take it. But I thought to myself, I'm 60 years old. There's not much of a career left to ruin. Uh, I, that occurred to me, and then it occurred to me that, hey, hey, Richard, I don't need help ruining my own career because I think I'm capable of doing that on my own. So, yeah. All right, one um, la- one last one before you go, and hopefully you'll come back and be with us again on Mitch Unfield. This has been fantastic. It's everything I could have wanted and then some, Jim. So give me one last one before you run on me in Arizona. I think I'll like this one. I hope our audience will too. The bet with Ricky Pierce. I want to know about the bet with Ricky Pierce. (laughs) Where did you come up with that one? I'm probably screwing myself here, but I, you know, I don't, I don't think that far ahead. And I say that just because I'm trying to write a book, Mitch. You know, I, oh, okay. Since I, since I, no, 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 I'm going to go ahead and tell you anyway. I don't care about that. I, you know, basically, I'm going to have a lot of this stuff in my book. And and honestly, what I tell people is, I've always, as a writer, I've always wanted to write a book. It's been a lifelong goal of mine. And but I don't have self-discipline. And I don't have an excuse right now not to write the book because I'm unemployed, so I have the time to do it. And I really don't care. Like, I'm going to tell the Ricky Pierce story, and if, you know, somebody happens to buy the book and say, oh, I heard about that on, you know, Mitch's Unfiltered podcast, that's fine. Because I don't care if I make a dime off the book at this point. You just want to write. I just want to accomplish a lifelong goal of writing a book. And it's basically 40 years uh, behind the scenes with a Seattle sports writer and Seattle sports talk show host. And I just want to tell stories like, like you're asking me to tell right now that, that maybe I haven't had a chance to tell yet. And if I could just hold that book in my hands and look at it, I know how good I'll feel about getting it done. And I don't care if it ends up on anybody's bestsellers list. I just want people to maybe enjoy it. And, uh, and, and I, I don't care if I get rich off of it or if, if I don't make a dime off of it. I just want to accomplish that goal. Okay. But Ricky Pierce, uh, there was a season. I happened to look at this the other day. He shot, I, I think he shot over 50% for quite a few years in a row. And, but he was starting to tail toward, uh, you know, like 52%, 51, 50.5%. So it was trending downward. And I think he was around 30 years old. And, he, you know, he was a great player with the Bucks. And then he came to Seattle, great player here. And I don't know how it came up exactly, but I just said, I mentioned something to Ricky about, yeah, you think you're going to shoot 50% this year because you, you know, you've gone down a little bit the last few years. And he kind of looks up at me and he's like, what do you mean, man? And I was like, well, I, I don't know. It just kind of looks like your shooting isn't quite what it used to be or something like that. And he goes, he goes hey, hey, man, why don't we make a bet on whether I shoot 50%? And it was the same thing like with Gary. I just, I just didn't want to back down. I just didn't want to say... Even though I'm thinking to myself, man, this is really unethical. Uh, if my editors found out that I was betting with an NBA player, that's probably grounds for dismissal. But I thought, ah, shit, what the hell? Uh, you know, and I just thought, okay, well, what do you want to bet, Ricky? I'll bet that you don't shoot 50% this year. And he goes, let's bet $1,000. And, of course, a 1000 bucks to him was nothing, but it was quite a bit to me. 
I didn't I didn't want to bet a thousand. I probably would have bet a couple hundred or something like that. But then I thought I don't want to say no. I'll just find some buddies that want to put in two fifty each and I'll take five hundred of it or, yeah. or whatever. We'll split it up. Yeah. And so I said, Okay, Ricky, you're on. And I remember him mocking me. I remember him laughing, you know, to the players, his teammates, like, Yeah, the reporter kid, he doesn't think I'm gonna shoot fifty percent, you know, we bet a thousand dollars and all that and so so, <laughs> so we, the season starts, and it's probably 10 games in, and I think Ricky was shooting 47% or 48%. And it's pretty bad when I think about it, Mitch, because you're supposed to be watching the game objectively and, <laughs> and, you know, being everything I learned over there at Washington State University, how to cover a team, and, <laughs> and here I am betting with a player and, and hoping he did poorly. And so er, I swear to God, every time Ricky shot, it was like, Please miss, please miss, please miss. <laughs> even if it meant the Sonics were going to lose, I was thinking, man, I want that $1,000. And so then we got about, I think it was 15 or eight, 18 games into the season, and we were back at Boston Garden. And I, I'm down there. Back then, we were you know, courtside, the beat writers, and, and I, I always thrilled to go to Boston Garden. That was one of the exciting things for me when I was a kid. I thought, man, if I could ever see that parquet floor, uh, that would be awesome. But... One of those times when I was back there, and then Ricky's out there, pre-game warm-ups, he's out there shooting, and he comes over to me, and I think he was shooting 47% at the time. We weren't that far into the season. And he comes over to me and he goes, hey man, the bet's off. And I go, I go, Ricky, what do you mean the bet's off? He goes, bet's off, man. George, George ain't giving me my minutes. I can't get into a rhythm. <laughs> and I'm going, well, Ricky, I go, that is your problem, not mine. I go, you know, a bet's a bet. I go, the only way you call off a bet is if both parties agree to calling off the bet. And I'm, I'm not agreeing to that. And then he just walked away. And we never talked about it again. I never, he ended up shooting, I think he shot 48%. Uh -huh. So I technically won the bet, uh, but I have not seen the $1,000 from Ricky Pierce. So if you see him, can you tell him that he still owes me that? Oh, gosh. Great stuff, yeah. Jim. This fantastic, fantastic stuff. And as I said at the beginning, I've been a fan of yours for a long time. We've gotten to know each other a little bit, not a lot, but uh, I, I think there's another chapter or two in in your uh, professional <laughs> career and I, i'm waiting to see the book i don't care if i've heard the stories 10 times i'm i'll be the first guy online to buy that book you'll sell at least one copy i promise you you'll sell at least one copy jim okay hey mitch i really i'm, I'm happy for you man and uh, i i have told you i listen to your podcast i love what you do and i uh, really appreciate you having me thank you jim thanks for being on with us all right man take care Hey, hey, another chance to visit with my man Jordan Flowers of the Kirkland office of Gill Mortgage. How are we doing, Jordan? We're doing great, Mitch. Thank you, and thanks for having me back on. It's great to have a great partner on. Interest rates spike a little bit from where we were for the longest time, especially during the pandemic. Did all of us who hesitated to buy or refinance, did we blow it, Jordan? You definitely haven't blown it. And anybody out there, the rates are still at historic lows. There has been a little tick up, but there's still phenomenal time to look at refinancing or purchasing that new home. Where exactly does that leave all of us that are selling or buying a house? Tis the season. Tis the season. It's the spring season. It, historically, that time of year, everybody's getting their homes ready to sell. Our buyers out there already looking on the market. It kind of hit a little earlier this year. Extremely competitive environment. Homes are appreciating and selling for 
10, 20, even some 30% over list. And so it leaves a lot of sellers right now wondering, well, if we sell, where do we go? Uh, we do have solutions and programs to help people buy a new home, non-contingent, and still use the equity of their departing residents. We're helping people win there, sellers win there, so they can buy that new home before they uh, list and sell their house. And we're helping first-time home buyers in this incredibly challenging environment and then winning offers still five ten percent over so there's lots of areas where jordan and his team at the kirkland office of guild mortgage can help you not just strictly mortgages where would they call where would they phone would they go to you directly or somewhere else they can reach me on my office line 425-250-3145 or on my cell phone at 425-890-2957. The Kirkland Office of Guild Mortgage, great partners, Jordan Flowers and his team of Mitch Unfiltered. Unfiltered. Tasha, did you know Geico could save you hundreds on car insurance and a whole lot more? So what are you waiting for? Hip-hop group tag team to help you plan dessert? Oh, there it is. Great reaction to our chat with DC Glenn on episode 135 of Mitch Unfiltered. So much so that we're not stopping there. Tasha is with us on Mitch Unfiltered. Now, she's not Tasha, but everybody... (laughs) She's really actress, teacher, student, and all-around dancing machine Nikki Carr, who's with us. Nikki, how are you? Awesome. Hi, Mr. Mitch. I am fine. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Oh, thank you for being on my show. I love your story. you got to tell it to our audience. A Washington, D.C. elementary school teacher who dabbled in acting in the early 2000s. Tell the story. We want to hear it. Absolutely. So um, I'm a native New Yorker. I was born and raised in, in, well, born in New York, and then I moved to Virginia. And had some complications. I learned a little differently, so I failed a couple of classes, well, grades. <laughs> and then I finally got my life together and I applied to one college, St. Paul's College, one of the best HBCUs. Unfortunately, it's closed now. But um, I've always wanted to do some type of acting, theater, drama, something. And I begged my mom, you know, can I please change my major? And she's like, no, I don't care if you get your degree in dog catching, you're going to finish in four years. <laughs> so I stuck with it and ended up uh, getting a bachelor's in political science. But then I was like, yo, I still want to do something in the arts. So I was doing church plays and doing uh, like community theater and um, moved to D.C. in in 96 and started teaching in like 99, you know. And so while I'm teaching, I'm doing all of this, trying to get the children involved and keep their attention and then one day I just started doing improv because they it was like sugar induced broccoli or something. They just would not <laughs> chill out. And so I got on stage and started doing this improv. And they're looking like, what's Miss Jameson doing? Uh, Miss Jameson, are you all right? So later on that day, I found a, a found out from one of my students it was like her uncle was in L.A. She got me on the phone with him. He said, "Yo, Nick, you need to come out to L.A." I went December that that Christmas. And I was like, I'm done. Um, I, I love you. I love you, children. But uh, the No Child Left Behind Act, I'm about to leave y'all behind because I want to pursue my own dreams. And off to and Hollywood. So Hollywood, right? And off to Hollywood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, so was, now, that was tough, right? Hollywood was tough. You, you got a job at UCLA and you tried to make a go of the acting career. Tell everybody yes. how tough it was. 
Yeah, so I was I was I had to get a job because Denzel and Holly and no Mar- and Martin Scorsese and Matt McConaughey, <laughs> none of them was calling me, you know. And so I had to get a job, and my car was about to get repoed and everything. So it was a struggle. I mean, if you could see me, because like I'm seeing you, it, it, it was a struggle because I'm thinking like the amount of eviction notices and everything that was handed on my door. Oh. So I had to get a job. So I started an administrative assistant at UCLA. And thank God I had a boss that was like, as long as your work is done, Nikki, I don't care. Go to your auditions. I would run on my lunch break, come back. I may have on a full face of makeup. He's like, well, where'd you go? You came here and you were looking like plain Jane. Now you look like glamour shot. And so I was like, yeah, I had a meeting. So I called my auditions meetings. And so he, uh, yeah, so then I was doing that, and I had already started my master's previously in D.C., and I finished that and then tried to get a job. I ended up at USC being an advisor, and again, I've always been blessed with a supervisor let me go do my auditions, and then I started booking commercials. I did a Toyota commercial, Rooms to Go, so many different things back in Hallmark. That was really good, and then everything got quiet. It was like it's tough. I got burned out. Yeah. And it's so tough, you, 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 were you, know? in, you were in Hollywood. You were in L.A. for how many years? 13 years. 13 years 13 in L.A. Years. And then you yes, decided, sir. that's it. I've done it. I've tried it. It's not working. I'm going back to Atlanta. You were married at the time, I guess. It was not going back to Atlanta. It was not even on my radar. Oh. Um, when the L.A. Rams said that they were coming back to L.A., my then husband, he's like, uh, the equity shot up. He's like, let's get out of Dodge. Mm-hmm. And I was like, nah, I'm good. I, you know, but all of my family are, are back east. So I thought about it. So one day I just said, let's do it. And then I moved and it was like maybe four or five months that I was here and it felt like it was calling my name. I yeah. felt like I was like, uh, Nikki, Nikki, come back. <laughs> I'm looking around like, who are you talking to, Jesus? Who are you talking? And so, and so they were, you know, you, you were, you were doing, you were in an office at Georgia State. Yeah, and you I, and mm-hmm. you looked out the window and you saw them and filming. They were, I think, yeah, I think they were filming like Pitch Perfect Three or Iron Man or something. Right. And they had the cameras, the booms, the extra ads, pas. Everyone's ripping and running, and it it was like you cannot not see it. Like it was a dream that was still there, but the hustle and bustle of L.A. would be booking a job and then it get, being canceled mm-hmm. or being put on a veil and then someone else gets it. Right. And it was just a lot. And so I contacted a good girlfriend of mine who we all went to church together. And she was like, Nikki, I can introduce you to my agent. She did. And we just hit it off. Wow. And then so you you, yeah. were, you did some shows. You did Atlanta, Good Girls, P-Valley, Dynasty, right? And then comes, you're smiling, then comes an audition for so the Geico was, commercial? Did, what happened? Yeah, I did. So like 2020 the world turned upside down, right? Yep. But before the world turned upside down, I did Aretha um, Genius, and it just went off last week. I had a, one line, so very grateful. I treated it like it was an Oscar-winning performance. <laughs> so from February up until October, it was silent. Right. The industry shut down. And then one day, I was crying. I was like, you know, like I had said before, I had gotten divorced, and, you know, all my bills had been piling up. I was like, God, I really need to get out of debt. Nikki, stop using your credit card. <laughs> and then I was talking to my best friend, and she, I believe in there's power in the words that you speak. And so she had given me this affirmation to say, 
and I said it. And then little did I know, 30 minutes prior, my agent had sent me an email about Geico. It was like, Nikki, you got to sign this NDA. Mitch, I've read the breakdown. I was like, oh, I could do this. <laughs> Not in a haughty way. But I, I looked at it, it was like, you're a dancer. I was like, well, that's what I do. You know, that's who I am. I signed it, sent it back the next day, did the audition, did it from like 9 until like 11 o'clock that night. I was like, I don't know which one I like. I don't know. I wish you, I, I'm going to see if I can share with you my audition tape. And um, I finally, finally got the one that I like. My dog was about to pee on my carpet. Like, let's go, Ma. You've been doing this for two hours. <laughs> I turned it in. Here's the thing. The next day, Atlanta had a, had a tornado. And everybody's power was knocked out. The casting director sends an email and says, hey, you know, we know that everyone's power's out. We're going to extend you all another day. But if you've gotten it, if you got it in, we'll push you through along or whatever. I was like, shoot, I got mine in. I'm good. Callbacks were supposed to be election day. So I was like, so I came to work. I'm here now. Came to work. And I was like, I didn't get no email. God, what's up? I know I did a good job. I did my best. Like around, so then I'm shooting a short film for class while I'm work working. So I'm shooting, I'm shooting some, a student film, and I saw the email come through. You got a call back, and I just started jumping up and down. It nice. was amazing. Nice. The next day, yeah, I, I did the call back. Yeah. Tag team wasn't on there, but I did the call back, and and the director, Dan Opsko, um, amazing. He was like, so I can see that it's hard for you not to dance, Mickey, but just give me some elbows. Just try it. <laughs> So I'm like this, you know, just, he's like, so I'm doing it. And he's like, okay, thank you. Before we get off the phone, I said, is it, Hey, can I try something else? I, 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 can I try something? I just thought about it. He said, sure. So I did it. Then he said, well, try this now, try this way. So I did it and they laughed the next day. I got an email saying, you know, Nikki, you first refusal. And then that wow, Friday, wow. I heard that I booked it. Wow. It was, like, I get so emotional because it would happen so quickly. And I feel like God heard my prayer. And I, like, and I couldn't tell anybody because I signed the NDA. And I was like, come here, Mahogany, my dog. I was like, I booked the commercial. She's looking like, what? <laughs> and so oh. we ended up shooting it the following week. It was just an amazing experience everyone was so nice tag team i'm trying not to fangirl dc glenn is like a freaking walking encyclopedia of knowledge and, and enthusiasm and hypeness and steve Rowland, he's he's amazing too the cast i knew the cast uh the husband and the daughter we were all in an improv group together called um it's a tlc crazy sexy cool is what we were called out of decatur and we knew each other, so we knew how we worked. We worked well. And so, wow. yeah, that's where I am. Wow. So we're in here about to are you cry. crying? Why are you crying? Don't cry. Because I'm I don't, so I, thankful. I don't, I don't need to be making guests cry. We're supposed to be laughing, not crying. Okay? So, I know, but uh, we're, I'm in a place of gratitude. Oh, uh, well, you're, you're incredible. So what was the day like? The day was amazing. DC told me it was cake batter, not ice cream. Nikki. It was cake batter. No, it was it wasn't cake batter. It was um, icing, cake icing, icing, cake icing. The icing yeah. for the cake. Yeah. And and shout out to the crew. They they kept turning it around. It's like they had 
11,000 tons or whatever, I don't know, like 1,100 pounds of cake yeah. icing in a yeah. trash bag, and they kept stirring it around, and <laughs> they were bringing the containers in. Hey, like, Nikki. We shot it. <laughs> when, when did you see the commercial for the first time, and what was your reaction when you saw it for the first time? I saw the commercial for the first time Christmas night. Well, Christmas night, L.A. time. Mm-hmm. Two, around two-something, my, uh, my text message went off. And my friend Rodney, he was like, well, Merry Christmas to you, and uh, you're on my TV. You're, why, are you, why do I see you? <laughs> so I was like, what are you talking about? He said, you're on YouTube. I said, for what? He said, and he sent me the link, and I shot straight up. Are you kidding me? <laughs> had no clue. You didn't know. You didn't. You hadn't oh. seen it yet. No, you didn't even know it was released, huh? I didn't know. I didn't know when it was going to be released. Wow. And so I sent Amethyst and Anthony yeah. the text message. I was like, "Yo, I'm so sorry for the late, early reply. It had to have been like three in the morning." Yeah. I was like, "Please, my regards to to your loved ones." But did you love it nikki when you saw it for the first time did you love it i did yeah i did i was sitting there like this is bananas (laughs) it was because it was such a very long day it was a long from 7 a.m we started filming around 9 30 finished at 7 30 so they had hundreds of takes that they could have chosen and they chose those is the commercial is the commercial paying the bills are the bills paid I got hired to do a job. You did. And when you work, when you work, yep. you get compensated. So, Nikki, I, I, you know, for all of our, you know, we're a kind of a sports podcast and people in our audience like me don't know exactly how this works. Without getting into your business, a commercial, I mean, this is like the most successful commercial in years and years and years. Everybody's talking about this commercial. I got kids and, and a wife that walk around the house saying, scoop, there it is, and doing the lyrics. I mean, this is a huge thing. What does it mean to you? I know what it means to you emotionally. I can see what it means to you emotionally. But what does this mean, the visibility of a commercial like this, to an actress's career? Are you now able to get a lot more out of this? Or how does it work? Um, I'll, talk, I'll talk from a humanistic approach. Like Nikki, just Evelyn and Willis's yeah. daughter, Nikki. Yeah. It's been a lot of exposure balancing it I, I wasn't prepared for it i wasn't prepared for like you reached out to me on social media which i'm very thankful for but like the text messages and the calls like i'm working on a thesis and i had a deadline to meet when everything started popping off at the beginning of the year like in january when the playoffs were going on and they were playing it more frequently and I was like, yo, I got to turn this in. But I got, but I want to respond to this text message. Oh, I haven't heard from you in so long. Oh, my high school boyfriend. How you doing? Are you single now? You know, whatever. <laughs> so it was, it was that those, it was those, I'm not going to, they were welcoming distractions, but it was a little overwhelming. As an artist, I, I'm still getting the same amount of auditions. My IMDB number went up. I, I didn't know how important that was. So that means that people are visiting my profile and they're finally knowing who I am. But then like some people will say, Hey, I just saw you on Aretha. Oh, you were on Atlanta. What was it like working with Donald Glover? So it's, it's, it's good. I'm excited to see where it's going to, where it's going to happen. But my thesis is, is, my thesis is due May the 4th. (laughs) So 
And I'm like, may the fourth be with me, Lord, because my professor is like, ma'am, where's your paper? So it's it's good. It's good. It's it's exciting. Well, let me. Some s- people they don't recognize me because I'm walking around in a mask, but yeah. some do. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, let me just say this as I finish. Yes, sir. You, you are you are obviously delightful in the in the commercial. Every time I see your face, as I said, our family lights up. But I never expected this. You're ten times more terrific talking to you here on the podcast than you are even in the commercial. And I I don't think that uh, I don't think that success could have come the way of a nicer person. I'm I'm really really happy for you, Nikki. Really happy for you. Don't cry. This is memory. You got me over here snotting. <laughs> this is great. I thank you. I thank you for telling me that because sometimes I forget of, of, of the blessing this is because everything else is 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 a priority. My work work, my my schoolwork is such a priority. And so I have to stay in the present and embrace every opportunity that comes my way. And sometimes it may come off very abrasive because I'm focused. But so thank you. Because once the smoke clouds move, I'll be able to still remember meeting you and countless others. And so thank you. Thank you so much. Can't wait to see. You got me here sweating and hot. (laughs) Having a hot flash. (laughs) I can't wait to see you on my TV sometime soon doing a lot of other great things. Thank you, Nikki. You're the best. You are the best. You're welcome. Thank you so much. God bless you. Oh, and tell your wife and your daughter, Scoop. There it is. Sprinkle. Sons. (laughs) Sons. I won't tell the daughter. Sons. Sons. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's okay. Sons. Sprinkles. Thank you, Nikki. Great to talk with you. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Okay, round two time. Make Mitch look silly with investment trivia. Here's Katie Versio, a senior financial planner of Evergreen Golf Call. Hi, Katie. I think I was one and a half out of three last time, something like that, 50%. Yes. Hi, Mitch. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to see how you do this time. Okay, question one. Go. So we've all seen GameStop in the news. Which of the following is correct regarding short selling? Unlimited upside. Two, there's unlimited downside. It generates an income stream or it hedges your position. Well, because Jeff Dix of Evergreen Golf Call was on a recent show, I know the answer to this. It can go up, up, and away. It could go up as high as it wants to go. So there's unlimited downside because when Mm -hmm. you short a stock, you're rooting for it to go down and it could go up forever. That's right. Yes. So you're correct. It's number two. There's unlimited downside. So that's why it can be so dangerous because it's unlike if you were to just buy a stock, what we'd call long, where you know the price can't go below zero. All right. I'm one for one. Okay. So with tax season coming up, individuals need to remember to make their IRA contributions for 2020 before April 15th. So for individuals that are under the age of 50, what's the maximum that you can contribute? Is it $10,000, $6,000, $19,000, or $1,000? Yeah, I know the answer to this. For many, many years, even though I'm now over the age of 50, my accountant every year in April would tell me to make this contribution to my IRA, and I would grumble. 
but I did it. And it was $6,000 every year. Correct. Uh, yeah, you're two for two here. It's important to remember to make those ongoing contributions. I know it can be a little bit of a pain, but you get a little bit of a break because you've got until April 15th of the next year to make them. And if you're over the age of 50, you actually get another $1,000 so you can contribute up to $7,000. Two for two. I'm going for the clean sweep, Katie. Okay, so 2020 was obviously a very turbulent year. Uh, what was economic growth for the year as measured by GDP? Was it zero or flat on the year? Was it negative three and a half percent? Was it negative 6.2% or was it up 1%? Gross domestic product, right? That's right. I'm going to go down 6%. It was a bad year. Oof, so actually, uh, you got that one incorrect. The correct answer is actually two, negative 3.5%. You know, we saw some of the sharpest decline in GDP back in the spring, in March and April, but the second half of the year actually rebounded quite a bit. So that's why it's not down as much as it could have been. Well, two for three. In my second go around, I'm still going up. I'm going three for three the next time. She's Katie <laughs> Versio, and she's a senior financial planner with Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Hey, back with us on Mitch Unfiltered is John Waterstrat, the owner of Fireside Home Solutions, not to mention the presenting sponsor of our fun March Madness Pool. Thank you for that, John, by the way. Give us an update. What's the latest at Fireside? Well, thanks, Mitch. It's great to be back and just kind of talking to your listeners. And uh, it's been great. The Puget Sound area is starting to open itself back up. And I still think that the whole remodel, people wanting to do something to their home continues to get people pouring into our showrooms. And we feel very, very blessed to be able to help them in any way we can. We want to have your team over to the house to come up with a solution outside. We want to put a new fire pit out there. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about that. Well, tell us about that arm, the fire pit arm of the fireside business. Yeah, it's a great complementary business to our fireplace business. People want that nice, warm feeling outside, so uh, it's it's done well. So people want to extend those areas outside, so we're able to put a fireplace for a nice living room area outside, or we can do that gathering space under a fire pit. So again, we can do up to uh, fireplaces, fire pits, and we could even provide you heaters outside, extend those uh, chilly nights in the Northwest to a longer period of time outside. Perfect. And while the name is Fireside Home Solutions, you guys introduced garage doors, a garage doors layer to your business not too long ago. Tell us why you did that and how it's been. Uh, we were able to have an opportunity to uh, purchase one of our competitors. He was doing fireplaces and garage doors. He wanted to retire. So we were able to kind of blend our two companies together. We looked at that garage door business and we said, wow, what a great complimentary business to fireplaces. Creating that warm, cozy feeling inside was that same feeling that people wanted to do on the outside to add to that curb feel of their home. It's one of those things when neighbors drive by and they look at your house like, wow, what happened to that house? And to add that nice feel both outside now and then inside the home and having that warm cozy place it's it's pretty exciting to have both of those pieces of our business well it's exciting for us to be partnered with fireside home solutions for the last few years we're really thrilled and privileged to have you aboard we love you firesidehomesolutions.com unfiltered I'm a range rat. I've been a range rat all my life. I like to hit balls. People call him golf's Iron Man. You'll even find superhero gear on his clubs. 
My chiropractor says I have the fitness of a 35, 40-year-old. So, and I feel like I do. That's what I feel like I am. But Bob Kurtz's reputation goes beyond being good at the game. Bob is an amazing guy. He's impressive as a golfer, but he's even a better person. Our next guest on episode 136 was once a sportscaster on ESPN, I believe, in Chicago, but somewhere along the line... He became this world record holder in his favorite hobby. Ladies and gentlemen, I give to you Bob Kurtz, golf's Iron Man. Hi, Bob. Well, hi there. It's uh, it's just so great to, to be with you, and uh, thank you for that uh, fine introduction. <laughs> you broke your sixth world record the other day in Arizona. Before you tell no, me... No, you're already starting off with incorrect information. <laughs> Your, your source is messed up. It's my seven. Okay. It's your I, seven. Hold, I hold six. This is my seven. All right. Before we get to the world record that you broke this past week and we go through all your seven world records, Bob, I think I need to know as a sportscaster here in Seattle for the last 30 years, how does a Chicago sportscaster, ESPN, CNN guy, turn into this? What, what happened? Well, Actually, it, it's kind of an intriguing story about happened. I had retired from broadcasting. I was uh, I was actually the very first person on the air for CNN in 1980 in June when Nick Charles and I hosted CNN Sports Sunday. But after 25 years in broadcasting, I retired. My dad was a was a pastor, was a preacher, and uh, I'd gone to college, graduate school and everything. And so I, I thought I'd work with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Turned out I was involved in churches. Mm-hmm. So I'm at this church in Alabama and they had a, uh, a missions committee that wanted to help an orphanage in Kenya. And they all thought, you know what? Bob just plays a lot of golf and I'll bet uh, <laughs> we could get people excited about this. We'll have him play a certain number of holes in a day and everybody will pledge per hole and we'll raise a lot of money for the orphanage in Kenya. Good thought. Now, most people, if if Mitchell came to you, you would say, "Gosh, this guy's uh, he's in pretty good shape." I know he's sixty-five years old or so, but uh, I'll bet he'll uh, he's not going to play thirty-six. I'll bet he'll play fifty-four holes. Mm-hmm. So you decide to pledge ten bucks mm-hmm. or so per hole. Well, I went out, and um, the course was crowded, but the <laughs> pro was a friend of mine. We had another guy that was a volunteer, and everybody knew what I was doing. So he'd go right ahead in the cart and say, make way, make way. You know, he's coming through. I played 188 holes. <laughs> and so if you pledge 10 bucks, you're going, what? What? I know an orphanage in Kenya is a good project, but what? So the next year they decided, that was the most successful fundraiser ever. We're going to do it again. So they had a lot more people pledging, and we received a lot less money. <laughs> because I played 220 holes. So I decided to find out what the world record was. Nobody could tell me. Uh, you know, I'm going, nobody plays 220 holes in a day. What is it? And finally went to the National Golf Foundation, Yeah, went to the local PGA section, finally found from Guinness World Records, that they didn't have one for most of the day. They had most consecutive, and the record was 400. Uh-huh. So I said, I can do that. And uh, that was playing around the clock, so I played 500 holes in 39 hours. 
straight through. Hold so, on a second. How do you play 500 holes in 39 hours? You use a glow ball at night. <laughs> a glow-in-the-dark golf ball at night, and you play a all? A glow-in-the-dark. Now, this is the funny thing about Guinness. They are so particular. The, you know, they have an adjudicator there. They watch what you're doing. Yeah. You have to play the strict rules of golf and everything, but they let you play this piece of equipment that's not golf equipment. A glow ball is a polyurethane piece of plastic that, I mean, this, you can't, uh, you can't control where it goes. You, it goes about <laughs> 75% of the distance of a regular ball, so you have to kind of figure that out. Uh-huh. And uh, it's got that glow stick in the middle. But they let me use it, and I just kept, uh, I just kept trucking. I'm the, if, uh, <laughs> if the Energizer Bunny wasn't pink, which I think is a little effeminate, uh, I'm kind of the Energizer Bunny. I can just keep going. Okay, uh, you obviously can because I have in my notes here, and I, I don't know, I, I don't want to doubt you because you're in the world record books, but 1,850 holes, Bob, in one week yeah. now. Now I can do the math on that. If you take eighteen hundred, okay. you take eighteen hundred and fifty, and you divide by eighteen, we're talking about over a hundred, a hundred and three rounds of golf in one seven-day period. Now, how is that? That's not possible. <laughs> That's why it's a world record. Uh, <laughs> That was a that was intended. Guinness and I worked on that. That that was the most significant record that they had, and still is the most significant one that they have. And we were working because I wanted to do uh, I wanted to challenge the best that's ever been. Leased the golf course for the week. Had uh, probably over a hundred uh, volunteers there. The uh, Guinness requires that that we have two official scorekeepers. And two independent witnesses at all time. So you have to have four people following you plus the adjudicator. So it's uh, what was the great thing about that was that nobody of the volunteers was ever late. So that was uh, but, but, that was great. Now, here I was playing right after I set the world record. I was invited to play in the national championship, the, the national open in Denmark at Meyer Fjord. And I was introduced. Uh, this is the challenge tour. You know, all the like our Corn Ferry tour the web.com tour. The young guys are all 23, 24, 25, and I'm 70 now at that time. <laughs> they said, uh, the guy introduced me, said, how many, uh, how many of you guys out there have ever played 54 holes in a day? And they shoot their hands up. These are strapping young men. They've all played 54. And how many of you played 72 in a day? And turned out nobody had played 72 in a day. He said, well, okay, suppose you come in, you play 54, you're going to set a personal record. You wipe the sweat off. You take a couple of drinks. You go out and you play another 18. You come in, pound your chest. You're so proud of yourself. You played 72 holes in one day. Now you've got to go out and play another 200 holes and do it seven <laughs> days in a row to do what Bob did. Bob, how old were you when you played 1,850 holes in one week? I was 70. You were 70 years old. How old are you today? 79? I'm 79. I'll be 80 uh, May 23rd. Now, a lot of people are wondering in our audience, hey, the Masters is coming up this week, and Bob obviously loves the game, and he can play a lot of holes in, in one day. And one, He's the Iron Man, but is he any good? Tell everybody what you did to, to, to answer that question. <laughs> Tell everybody what you did on your 78th birthday last year, Bob. No, well, uh, each year I've always played three or four uh, different courses shot my age, but I think you're referring to when I was 71 
Uh, it's another Guinness World Record. I shot my age seven times in one day. In one day? So I shot 71 or lower seven times in one day. 6,500. Guinness has to be 6,500 yards. <laughs> so it, it wasn't like I was playing a short course. So my low round was 67. Come on. But I didn't play seven rounds. It took me 10 rounds to shoot the seven. So you, you played 10 rounds in one day on your 71st birthday, and in seven of the 10 rounds, you shot 71 or better, and this was witnessed by the Guinness people. Well, yeah, and, and the official wow. uh, witnesses and the official scorers and everything, yes. And the cards are all turned in and everything. How's your back, yes. Bob? How's your back? <laughs> you know, you, you, you chuckle when you say that, but my best friend, uh, a doctor named uh, Phil Tankersley, who is a chiropractor, and he maintained when I, uh, 10 years ago when I set the world record for the 1,850 holes in a week. Mm -hmm. He said, of course, all that's in the cart. You're in and out of the cart, in and out of the cart. Right. He said, that's the danger. He says, you realize that if you do two, you're playing around 2,000 holes, you're getting in and out of the cart uh, six times per hole at least. Counting, I mean, that's your average. You, you, hit the, you get out, hit the tee ball, get in. You go to the ball in the fairway, get out, hit, hit it, go, get in. You go up to the green, same thing. That's six times. Uh, the par fives and par threes average out. So he said, that's, that, that's your big problem. So uh, that's, that's what scared him. And I said, uh, what are we going to do? And we just said, developed a set of core exercises, uh, which I've always sort of stayed with. They're simple core exercises, and everybody hates them. We hate sit-ups. I'd rather go to the gym and do, the, do those machines where you kind of bend forward. At least uh, the sit-ups are just a pain. Yeah. Sit-ups and push-ups I hate. I'd rather get on machinery. Bob, you're 79 years old. That brings us to this past week in Arizona. You set out to break a seventh Guinness Book of World Records in the in the realm of golf. Tell everybody what you did. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was actually, Mitch, I was looking forward to uh, doing something uh, unique in my upcoming 80th year, and I couldn't figure it out, and I was talking to Guinness, and we couldn't figure anything out. And this charity in Scottsdale, in Scottsdale, I played golf with the, the head of philanthropy, and he said, well, I got an idea because we've worked with Top Golf before. Mm -hmm. Why don't you hit a thousand tee shots in a day? And I people pledge for the, uh, the tee balls. And I go, thousand. That, that, wow. Because uh, you've heard people say, oh, he hits a thousand golf balls in a day. Well, they don't. So we were going we to do it uh, from 10 o'clock in the morning till 10 at night. So I started January, the first of January. And I was hitting drivers and heavy, and also the heavy driver. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was at three or four hundred a day, and pretty tired. I finally got up to nine hundred, <laughs> and uh, so we did it. And uh, at Top Golf last Thursday, wow! And I was in such good shape, and the fact that the balls are coming out quickly. Uh, I had one hundred twenty-nine the first hour, and after three hours, I had about four hundred. So. I uh, was supposed to go till 10 o'clock at night, but it's 10 after 7. I had already hit a 1,000, so I hit an extra 50. And uh, just just for fun, we had a big party and carried on local television and everything. So uh, it was a very successful raise, close to $30,000 for the charity, which is called New Leaf, kind of like turn a new leaf in your life, mm -hmm. uh, which helps uh, right now 
families facing homelessness because of COVID, low-income families. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're providing them for housing and so forth. So I'm I'm just so pleased that we're able to raise that kind of money. Also pleased that, uh, oh, here's the thing. At Top Golf, it had to be over 200 yards and had to be inside the grid. That's 35 yards wide. U.S. Open is 40 yards wide. So I had it inside that narrow grid. So with warming up and also doing morning TV, I really hit uh, 1,115 and missed the grid 14 times. Who's putting the ball on the tee, Bob? Well, uh, I am. I'm also bending over 1,000 times and teeing it up. Wow. That's incredible. That, nobody stuff. ever thought about that. You're the first one to ask. You, I'm going. That's the hard part of it. I like to swing a golf club, and to bend over a thousand times. That's uh, that wears me out just thinking about it. Do me a favor and do our audience a favor before you run on us. Uh, this is the the Iron Man of golf, Bob Kurtz at age at age 79. Tell everybody about when you were the number two golfer in Yankton, South Dakota. Tell everybody. Tell everybody. <laughs> I don't know how you got that story. Yankton College is known for uh, having Lyle Alzado go yes. from Yankton to the pros. Yes. Uh, great, great uh, player years ago for the Denver Broncos. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I played college golf in Yankton, number two behind a really tough uh, number one player. His name was Chuck Kurtz, and he was my daddy. Come on. So daddy played number one, and I played number how? two. How did that work? How, how, how could you two be well, on dad the was in, Dad was in, uh, uh, he's a World War II vet, and then uh, was in the Navy for 20 years, came out in private business, and he just wanted to go to college. And uh, and he did. And he was one year ahead of me in college. And uh, he, he graduated magna summa cum laude, and I graduated. So... <laughs> <laughs> I've never used that line before, uh, but that's a good line. I'm going to uh, use that again. God. You know, there's people in our audience that are saying, uh, I have to beg and borrow and plead my wife to go out and play a round of golf. This guy goes out and he plays 1,850 holes in a, in a week. You're, the real hero is your wife, Bob. You know that, right? That's absolutely right. <laughs> Peggy, uh, I'm, a, I'm a newlywed. My first wife passed away a few years ago and then our Remarried, have a wonderful, wonderful, enthusiastic wife, Peggy, who really, uh, you're right, is she has to be so tolerant. And <laughs> I was out there uh, 10, 11 hours a day hitting just straight through trying to build up the ball striking strength. That's the only way you can do these marathons. You have to be ball striking strong. And, uh, yes, she deserves a lot of credit. So when Bob Kurtz isn't out trying to break records. Maybe she doesn't like me as much as I thought <laughs> now that you brought that up. Bob, when when Bob Kurtz is out and he's not trying to break records by doing something crazy with golf, what's your schedule? Are you playing every day? Are you a weekend player? Are you a guy who likes to play three or four times a week? I still play tournament golf. I I like tournament golf. I like it to count. I'm not a social golfer. When I go out and play, I usually play alone and play three or four balls and hit shots. I I still like to shoot low numbers. Mm -hmm. And the only way you can do that is you have to practice on the golf course. Mm-hmm. So uh, I've got some tournament golf. The, the uh, Tucson Open's coming up in a in a uh, couple of weeks down at Skyline. I'll play in that. Uh, uh, two years ago, I won the. Uh, this is senior play. I won the Cleveland Open. You know, beat uh, that was on the Sun Belt Tour, which starts at forty seven, mm-hmm. and I was what seventy eight. So I'm spotting him thirty one years. Okay, and uh, so. 
Yeah, I, I I love to compete, as you can tell. I love to, to meet challenges. I don't know how much longer I'm going to be able to, to play at a significant, significantly good level. Uh, I was on the range a few years ago at, at the Nationwide in Atlanta at that uh, senior, the Champions Tour, and I'd, I'd done a Monday qualifying, and I was next to Jack Nicklaus. And Jack and I are hitting, and I'm going, this is terrible. This is Jack Nicklaus. I've covered him for, for when I was a sportscaster for years. He had his hands high above his head. He just had this huge swing, and he's he's got this little three-quarter swing kind of punching at it. And I'm going, that's really sad. But Jack just didn't stay with the – you've just got to stay with the game. And I want to I, – I do want to say something to seniors, and that's uh, – and I don't mean it in any kind of a demeaning way, but get up off your duffs and start doing something. Don't think you're an athlete because you watch sports on TV. You've got to stay active. You've got to get out there. You've got to walk. You've got to hike. You've got to hit balls. Because uh, this life that we've got can be absolutely wonderful if you've got your health. So make that a priority. I've been, you know, I give the good Lord above. Uh, he gave me a, a good, healthy, strong body, but. Uh, I've done my part, too. Who's going to win the Masters, Bob? I think Rory McIlroy is going to win it. Uh, he's playing uh, – you kind of look at the guys who are playing horrible, and they're, they're and he's got he's been hip, trying to keep up with Bryson DeChambeau, and it's kind of ruined his swing. He's got a couple weeks off. Uh, I, think, I think he's going to win it. I think he's going to win it handily. Wow. That would be quite a story because he has not played very good golf. Bob Kurtz, ladies and gentlemen. No, he hasn't. Bob Kurtz – a, uh, a seven-time, I, I cheated him one at the beginning, but I won't do it again. <laughs> a seven-time Guinness Book World Golf Record holder. I hope your next 79 are as good as the first 79, Bob. Thank you. Thank you for being with us. You're great. You're great. What a, what a wonderful time I had, and, and thank you. Thank you. Incidentally, anybody wants to learn anything, you can go to my website, okay. uh, www.golfsironman.com, and find out more about why I do these things. Thank you, Bob. You're the best. Thank you. Hey, it's time for a visit with Dan Black, the president of Zeke's Pizza. Hey, Dan. Hey, Mitch. Things seem to be moving in the right direction for you guys at Zeke's. You're expanding both in dining room capacity and locations. Yeah, I got to tell you, it feels good to have some normalcy coming back. I think everybody's experiencing it, not just at Zeke's. I actually got stuck in traffic the other day. It actually felt good. Uh, <laughs> there's people out and about, and that includes at Zeke's in the dining rooms. And it's, um, you know, it's just fun to have people back in, in our dining rooms and just being out. And the new locations coming where? Yeah, so we mentioned Bellingham. Uh, we're on track for late spring, early summer there. We're really excited about that one. Yep. Uh, we've also mentioned stuff like Seward Park, Mount Lake Terrace, White Center, Burien. So those are those are all in the pipeline and, uh, and more coming even after that. All right, so what's the Black family having delivered to their door these days in terms of pizza and beer? Yeah, <laughs> last time you asked me this, I got in trouble because <laughs> I went right into how the whole family was drinking Hot Tropic. So for the record, Georgia is not drinking Hot Tropic. But uh, the whole family's eating Cherry Bomb pizza. That's that's one of our classics, and it's it's a fave out there, and it's definitely one of the Black family's uh, favorites. Uh, and then the beer right now is Moon Booter IPA. We brew it together with Old School House Brewery, 
out of Winthrop, and it's it's just a really tasty West Coast IPA that you can you can drink a lot of or just sip it if you want. But it's it's really good. How's uh, the delivery arm of the business doing, Dan? It's good. It's still strong. It's uh, as people dine out more, there's. Uh, slightly less delivery and takeout, but what we make up for both in sales and then just excitement of having people back is totally worth it. Download the Zeke's Pizza app and have Zeke's to your door in no time. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Episode 136, Other Stuff segment. Hotshot's going to lead us off, but before he does, remember the first ever Mitch's Masters Pool. Go to MitchUnfiltered.com, click the banner, join us. It costs nothing to play. You pick five golfers at the Masters. They all have to make the cut. Mitch's Masters Pool presented by Fireside Home Solutions with a cash grand prize Go ahead, Hotshot Scott in Arizona. Cave Creek, Arizona. Go. Shohei Otani, the starting pitcher for the Angels as yes. we record this. He's yes. also not only starting the game as a pitcher, he's batting second in the lineup. All right. <laughs> he, he hit, and then he goes on to hit a home run. I think it was his first at bat. Yeah. And by the way, that home run, um, it was the fastest to exit velocity of this short season so far. Right. 115.2 miles an hour. Uh, uh and then he threw a pitch that was 100.6 miles per hour, four-seam fastball. The fastest starting pitcher this season so far. Fastest pitch. I, this guy's incredible. He's like. I mean, didn't the Mariners go after this guy? He's like. Un, he's unlike anybody that's probably we've ever seen. Now I'm sure back in the day when Babe Ruth was pitching and at home runs, I think that's a different yeah. comparison. But in terms of 2021, to be that good at both and be good enough incredible. to be a star. In Major League Baseball at both is just, uh, it's almost, I think it's underrated. I don't think he gets enough publicity. It's funny, when he first broke into the scene or broke into the game, everybody talked about him. They haven't talked about him a lot lately because he's been injured, but you're right. He is a freak of nature to be able to be dominant on the mound and be a top of the lineup or middle of the lineup hitter for the Angels. But even that home run was not the most interesting home run that was hit in Major League Baseball in the first few games. Did you hear about the Cody Bellinger home run that became a two-run single? The two-run homer that became the (laughs) run-scoring single. Cody Bellinger, MVP, Los Angeles Dodgers, hits a home run that's close. The fielder goes back. The outfielder goes back. He makes the play. You've seen this a billion times. He tries Mm -hmm. to bring in the ball back. He's not able to do it. Justin Turner, who's on first base for the Dodgers at the time, is unaware whether the fielder has the ball or not. Did he catch it? If he catches it, he's got to go back to first base. He doesn't want to get doubled up. Or did he not catch it and it's a home run? So – Turner, who's on his way to second base, thinks for a second that the fielder caught the ball. So he starts reverting back to first. The problem is, is that Bellinger rounds first thinking he hit a home run, and he actually crosses paths with Turner, who's going back to first. Bellinger passes him on the way to second, which is against baseball rules, making Cody Bellinger immediately out. As soon as he passed the base runner in front of him, he's out. He's no longer a home run hitter in that position. It goes down as a single. It's a run scoring single. single. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's a 400 I don't remember who singer. said it was one of those one of the baseball people said he loves baseball because every game you could see something you've never seen before in your life. I don't remember that ever happening to, to anybody ever. All right. A sealed copy of the NES classic Super Mario Brothers sold for an incredible $660,000. All right. It's the, you remember the old Nintendo, the first one that came $660,000. It's more than quadrupled the previous record for the most expensive game ever. And it's a game you can't even play. It's sealed. I mean, you're not, if you buy this, you're not going to then shove it in there and blow on it to hope it works good. Now, 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 $660,000. Now, now, Mario Brothers is a, is a racing game. Is a car racing game? I think of <laughs> Mario Brothers of as Donkey Kong. I thought Donkey Kong was Mario <laughs> Brothers. Is Donkey Kong not Mario Brothers? That's what I remember. Wasn't that Super Mario who goes in? Who goes in? Uh, didn't I use him? And I climb up the ladders and I jump over the barrels and I grab the, yes, the you, stick and the, the hammer in the, the sky and I try to save the woman from King Kong. Is that not Mario Brothers? That's, no. That's the first time that we meet Mario, but that okay, but his brother's not, not there. It's just Mario. And and then there was Luigi, a Mario Brothers. Is Luigi his brother? Yes, Luigi. Yes, yeah. There you go. Look at you, big gaming expert. So I, uh, I want to tell everyone out there right now, if if you check your attic, check your parents' garage. If there's a sealed <laughs> Super Mario Brothers game out there, call me and I'll buy it from you for ten bucks. Or right? or a Honus Wagner card. If you see a, Hon- I'll, right, I'll, I'll buy the Honus Wagner card <laughs> if you have that in your garage. Major League Baseball, you saw this hot shot. They pulled the All Star game from Atlanta because of the controversial, yeah, yes. the controversial Georgia voting laws. No All Star game in Atlanta. Everybody's applauding baseball for doing it. I get a kick out of the fact that people now are wondering, will the Masters move? Now, I don't mean to show any disrespect to those that are offended by the Georgia voting laws. I understand they should be changed, and it's a, it's a horrible thing that's going on in the state of Georgia. But, okay, the Masters is not – for people that are waiting for the Masters to announce yeah. that they're moving out of Augusta, Georgia, you're going to be waiting a long – the PGA Tour does not control where the Masters is. The Masters is owned by one entity and one entity only, and that's Augusta National Golf Club. If it's right. not at Augusta, you, you can't call it the Masters if it's played anywhere else. They control the Masters. So for those of you that are waiting to see if, if the PGA Tour or if the Masters is going to follow Major League Baseball's league and not let the Masters this week be played in Augusta National, um, I have the answer for you. Yeah. <laughs> The Masters at Pebble Beach doesn't really sound good coming <laughs> off the not, tongue, does it? it? <laughs> not happening. Not going to happen? Not happening. I told you I watched that, that documentary on Tina Turner on HBO that was yes. incredible, by yep. the way. Yep. Um, well, like, like me, her fans are pissed off that she's not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's really incredible. I mean, she is in with Ike and Tina or, you know, as because they were she was with Ike Turner. They're in as a couple, but she's not in by herself, and fans are pissed. But there is a fan vote. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has a fan vote. The way it works is they can vote for the top five among the class of 2021, which includes Tina. So then the top vote getter among those five will win the official fan vote. So if you're as outraged as me, go online. You can figure out where to go and go vote for Tina Turner to get in. If you're that outraged, why don't you do a Patreon podcast about Tina Turner? It'll make you feel better. It'll be therapeutic for you. Why not? Or is, be or, or is she not good seven enough? Seven episodes. Oh, no, no, she's good enough. So she's, it, I mean, she's it, better oh, than oh. everybody that you've done. She would need seven episodes, but the people that you did don't need seven episodes. All the time with Ike. I mean, she started when she was like 19. I would mean, Nathan would be Papadopoulos be in? <laughs> yes, he is going to be in it. Hotshot Roy Williams is stepping away from college basketball, the head coach of North Carolina. He's retiring in Chapel Hill after all those years at Kansas and North Carolina. Yep. He was once on the, 
the Dean Smith staff and returned to his alma mater and one of the real greats and one of the real gentlemen walking away from college basketball. College basketball will be worse off. And I just wanted to share my respect for Roy Williams here on episode 136 and, and, and in my own smart-ass, smart aleck way say, I'd like to share with you my favorite Roy Williams memory. The, my okay. favorite, the, there's one Roy, he won like two or three national championships with North Carolina. You know, yeah. he's a Hall of Fame coach. But to me, it's very clear what the greatest Roy Williams moment of them all was. And that's okay. when he lost in the 2003 national championship and shook the hand, hand of James Beheim, Jim Beheim in <laughs> New Orleans in front of my very own eyes. Jeez, uh, <laughs> this has been a, a stirring tribute when to Roy a, Williams. When Akeem Warwick <laughs> came out to the corner oh, and blocked the shot at the buzzer of the Kansas shooter, and James Arthur Bayheim uh, celebrated his one and only national championship. That was my favorite Roy Williams moment. But anyway, we'll miss Roy. Are, are you still scheduled to speak at, at, at Roy's retirement party, or <laughs> are you not on the list anymore? Because I think you should share that. Here's, be happy to come <laughs> and share that. Touched. Yes. <laughs> All right, the fans at Gotham Comedy Club in New York City got a nice little treat on Friday night as they're, they're open now for, for stand-up comedy, but your buddy Jerry Seinfeld christened the coming out of the oh. pandemic Gotham Club in New York City, and oh. the audience exploded when he walked out on stage. Because, you know, you go to these comedy clubs, it's 25 bucks, and hey, Jerry Seinfeld, I guess I'm seeing Jerry Seinfeld tonight, who knew? <laughs> so pretty, pretty cool thing for those fans. He, he just stopped in to, to talk to him on his way home, do some jokes, and he said the energy inside was so intense, he felt like he had gotten electrocuted. So stand-up comedy he's back in the clubs it looks like while you're on vacation the Sodens are on vacation in arizona with their uh with their grandpa yes. well, are you curious to see what aaron Rodgers looks like as the host of jeopardy this week uh yes i am as okay. a matter of fact i had no idea yes this is the week aaron Rodgers, green bay packers quarterback and future hall of famer super bowl mvps and all this stuff what he really, his biggest passion in life is Jeopardy. He loved Alex Trebek. He was a contestant on Jeopardy. He won a Celebrity Jeopardy. And now I think oh. this coming week, Monday through Friday, Aaron Rodgers will be the host of This Is Jeopardy, in case you are around a TV at, I don't know, 7 or 7 o'clock, 7.30, whenever it is on in Arizona. I don't know that you have to be overly charismatic to host Jeopardy, but does he strike you as game show hosty as like a charismatic? He might be a funny guy, but does he strike you as charismatic? Because he doesn't to me at all. But I'm curious to see how he does. Me too. I'll watch too. He, he, he always seems kind of irritated during interviews, kind of snarky. I don't know. I don't know. I'm curious to see him in this. It's, it's going to be interesting. I have an update for you, and I know you've, you've been missing sleep over this along with a lot of our listeners, but you remember the bodybuilder who married the sex doll named Margot? Yes, uh, I do. Do you remember that story yeah, about yes, a guy? And there's been the a whole few, time I said he's... Unfortunately, there's been a few sex dolls that have been featured on Mitch Unfiltered, so I, I'm trying to remember which one we're talking about here, but go ahead. Uh. So he, this guy, he, he married one, and this whole time I maintained he was doing it to get back at a girlfriend. I don't know that to be true. It just felt like that, something a guy would do. Well, unfortunately, their union has not lasted very long, as recently revealed that they have broken up, and he's already uh, moved on. Uh. He said the relationship began to crumble after Margot broke down and needed repairing. He even went on to reveal that he cheated on her with a different object while she was in the repair shop. So since then, he posted a video on Instagram where he has introduced his new wife, Lola, to his followers. So he moved on to another doll. And I was thinking, if these kids can't make it, what chance do the rest of us have? I mean, you, you, you can't make it work with something that never ages and doesn't talk. 
I mean, you really had to break up with her? I mean, come on, man. So hold on a second. L- Lola is the name of the doll? Is that right? Lola's the, the name first of the one, yeah. You're sure? Uh, no, wait. Uh, Lola's, Lola's the new one. Wait a second. You're sure Lola? Margot was the first one. You're sure Lola's not a showgirl? Are you positive? <laughs> you're positive. No, I'm not na- doing him next. <laughs> you're, you're, you're positive her name is Lola and she's not a showgirl? Okay. MMA fighter Kateg Pliev. You've probably never heard of him. I haven't either. He was fighting at Cage Fury Fighting Championship in Philadelphia. Officials had to stop the fight when they noticed he was missing a freaking finger during the fight. A finger. Okay. In the second round, he says uh, his opponent caught his glove with one hand and held it. And the guy says, I felt my finger snapped. He kept pulling my glove and my finger snapped and we kept fighting. When the second round was finished, I see bone was out in the open. Oh. I wanted, yeah, right. Oh. I wanted to keep fighting because I felt like I had this guy, but the doctor saw and stopped the fight. But they couldn't find the finger. People were freaking out. Then they realized it was actually tucked into his glove the whole time. Oh. They didn't check the glove. It's oh. the first place you should have checked. I know, yikes, right? God. Oh. <laughs> All right, quick update on an, an 18-year-old annoying person. She, her name's Danielle Brigoli, but she goes by the rapper as Bad Baby. She was actually on Dr. Phil, where she had an episode when she was 14 as a bad kid. She, she had the phrase, catch me outside, like threatening to fight people. Okay, you'll be happy to know that it took her six hours to become a millionaire on OnlyFans. Oh, we've talked about OnlyFans. Six only hours. Fans. Yes, yes. Six hours to become a millionaire at 18 on OnlyFans. Wow. Yeah, there you go. Yep. Hot shot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have time for one more. Okay. Would you like to read the final standings of the exhibition Grapefruit League or Cactus League results in Arizona or Florida, or do you have a different story instead. Well, since the season has already started, I don't know that it would actually make sense to okay. read the cactus fruit or the grapefruit league, okay. whatever it's called. Cact- I said cactus fruit, I think. <laughs> um, so I, I do have one final story about an Oklahoma woman, if that, if that strikes your fancy at okay. all. Is her name Lola? All right. Um, it's a, it's a, no, it's a city called uh, Oklahoma, Florida. So uh, no, no, it's not. It's, she's actually, no. no, she's from Oklahoma. So apparently she was... She was at a restaurant. She's at the salad bar, and she kept using her bare hands to scoop lettuce from the salad bar bowl. It's disgusting. Okay. According to investigators, a female sheriff's deputy was just happened to be in there having lunch Friday afternoon with her two children at Mazzio's Pizza when she was at the salad bar getting food for her own plate, and she spotted this woman doing it with bare hands. So she alerted the, the restaurant employees and said, this lady's been touching it, so they quickly changed it out. The lady did it again, went back, Stuck her hand in there, got herself some salad with her hand. Disgusting. And police allege that, that the woman got upset that, that this off-duty cop was telling her to stop. So she punched the lady. She punched the deputy in the face so hard, the deputy's glasses flew off. By the way, wrong person to pick a fight with. You're definitely going to get arrested now. So she was subsequently arrested for assault and battery. And in case anyone's wondering, don't worry, the best part of the salad bar wasn't contaminated. You know, the chocolate pudding. I don't know why there's always chocolate pudding in a salad bar. I didn't know that there that was, was chocolate pudding. <laughs> oh God! I don't even Everyone get that. I've never been to. I've never. I don't <laughs> even get that. Like, I've never. Case you want to put I've, dessert in there? Why always chocolate pudding? I've never seen chocolate pudding in a, in a salad bar. <laughs> oh really? I'm the well, only guy who's never go seen it. Well. Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. You're probably. I'm probably the only guy who's ever. Okay. All right. Fortunately, fortunately, the deputy's injury on her face was tended to with a little dressing. <laughs> let this be a lesson to let this be a lesson to all you healthy people who order salad bar at a pizza place. You goddamn deserve it. <laughs>
<laughs> and finally, uh, it's good to know that someone is looking out for customers who choose to eat from the least dirty, usually wet plate they uh, pull from a teetering stack in a public <laughs> restaurant while using the same tongs and ladles that everyone else used to scoop out food from the previous day that's been sitting out for all, all kinds of hours that may or may not have a hair or booger in it and using uh, a fork that most likely is covered in E. coli and fecal matter during a pandemic. Whew. Sleep easy, everyone. I'm glad she's on the lookout. I think Brian's right. We should start using the F word in the next. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only chance we have to survive on this cockamamie show. <laughs> By the way, salad bars. Do we, do we do we still need salad bars? For, forget pandemic. I mean, do do we need them? I Are you kind, a salad bar guy? I kind of like every once in a while going to Whole Foods or going okay. to well, hold to, on to go to go to one of those upscale, fancy schmancy yeah. markets that have the salad bars every once in a while and get lunch in one of the little plastics uh, you know yeah, weigh it, weigh that's it. no not it, though. that's not a salad that, bar. that's that's not a salad bar yes that's it is hot food and all yeah, kinds of stuff yeah but that's a salad bar. i mean like the the, that counts the pizza as a salad place bar. salad bar <laughs> yeah no, it sure not, does, right <laughs> <laughs> i don't uh, think we need them is my point i think we're good just uh, i think we're out on salad bars join us on the mitch masters pool presented by fireside home solutions he's in arizona i'm in the state of washington hope you've enjoyed episode 136 and we really hope you're still enjoying mitch unfiltered let us know mitch at mitch unfiltered and write some reviews, would you? If you like the show, go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the podcast and, and rate us one to five stars and write a review. We love you very much. It's Mitch Unfiltered. It's episode 136, and it's in the books.